Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Ramen Channel Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is more money, more problems, as we're discussing everything that has to do with money, indirectly and directly. So, uh, later in the show, we have impressions of Affordable Space Adventure, which uh, actually costs a lot of money. Yeah, it wasn't very affordable as far as... But it was certainly a space adventure, and still is a space adventure. Is it? Well, not for you physically. It's a puzzle game in space. It's it's, a planetary exploration adventure. uh, It should be um, fairly decently priced... Um, alien planet adventure exploration journey. Yeah, because you're not yes. really in space the whole time. You're not having meteors, but whatever. Well, with all that said, we'll be talking about that game, whatever <laughs> you choose to call it, later in the show. Uh, we also have misleading game, misleading the game adventure, adventure, misleading title adventures, the adventures of the misleading title. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk about that later in the show. Impressions of that. We also have a lot of uh, like businessy things to discuss. Times financials came out, so we have that. And the investor Q and A, and the investor briefing, and Betting the stuff. numbers, and a lot of yeah, a lot of big stuff out in terms of future. I know that was sarcastic, <laughs> but a lot of big stuff out in terms of future, opposed to just like the immediate future, like the long term, including a deal with Universal Studios. And we also have Splatoon to discuss, which does not fit the money theme whatsoever, except that hopefully it will make it Nintendo a lot of yeah. a lot of money, and they're spending a lot of money to promote it. So um, I guess to. As always, for those who have never listened before, we have timestamps at ramtown.com under episode 97, so you can jump around to what you want here. But for those who are in for the whole ride, you might as well kick off with, uh, we should probably kick off with Splatoon, honestly. I mean, I, mean, I guess we could. Yeah, I mean, after all, Nintendo didn't just announce new game details in a special Splatoon Direct last week, but they also hosted an online multiplayer demo multiple times, the Global Test Fire, which we'll share impressions of as well. And they're continuing to market it like crazy. They had the Mess Fest. Got less stupid. They had the Splatoon Mess Fest at the Samoc Pier on Friday, which we did not go to. But they also are promoting it pretty heavily elsewhere. Did you notice those images going around the web of Splatoon being behind home plate at a major league baseball game for the yeah. Seattle Mariners? Yeah. So they're pushing it. I mean, that's main, mainly for Japan because Japan watches the Mariners like a lot. But uh, nonetheless, they're pushing it hard. So uh, I guess we'll start with the direct, get the news out of the way, then we can move on to our impressions. Subliminal advertisement. Oh, how was the Mariners game? Like, oh, it was pretty good, but for some reason I want to buy Splatoon. Yeah. I, don't I don't know what it is, but they're, like, I, I enjoyed the Mariners, but I couldn't stop thinking about Squid. I wasn't even like eating calamari or anything. It just kept coming into my head. But uh, yeah, so I guess we'll start with uh, Splatoon Direct, go over some some of that, and then we'll move on to the goal test furniture impression. So to, I, to be honest, there's actually not a ton to say, a ton of new information in the Splatoon Direct until the very end. It was a 33-minute video. Uh, they talked about gameplay basics, talked about how like you can equip gear. They talked about... I like the Mario Kart one where they pretty much just go yeah. over the game. It's just like, yeah. it's for the person that hasn't caught up or read anything about the game at all yeah until so, the end and so then they're right. like brought up to speed and then after a while i mean it's like new footage for us yeah and also yeah. like the mario kart one it, it had like its own personality which that is something i really like that they do with the directs is when they're game specific they get kind of weird like mario kart was like a channel surfing thing this one was like a science nature video documentary like each of them kind of has the wonderful while one it just kept shouting september 15th like each of them has like a thing and this one's thing was being a nature documentary um but yeah, in terms of stuff they announced before we get to the mode, I, I did think it was kind of interesting that um, they're doing the Metroid Prime style uh, backstory stuff. Like each level in single player, you can collect these things called uh, Sunken Scrolls, one per level, and then they like flesh out the story if you choose to do so. And I remember Metroid Prime was the first game that ever did that. Where it's like, oh yeah, like backstory, if you choose to scan it, you'll learn more. It's like an optional second story, so it's kind of funny that Splatoon of all things is now adapting that system and of course they talk about the amiibo and there's gonna be 20 special levels per amiibo 
using different weapons, and if you beat all those, you get to unlock extra new 8-bit mini-games that they revealed for the first time, which are really good on the loading screen. It was definitely upped from 15, right? Because I remember at some point they announced 15 missions per amiibo. I think it's 20 now. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Interesting. But, and, and they had the, the 8-bit mini-games thing, so they're all like, they all look, they have artwork that looks straight off of Final Com cartridge, and they, you know, it's like their squid jump, jump when you're basically, it's like a... Uh, Sonic, uh, Sonic Jump on iOS for everyone's played that you just kind of move your way up they had like a racing one they had they have a couple different ones and you can play those independently or when loading for online which is kind of cool but uh, the thing that's actually important and worth mentioning is probably that they announced that they're doing their rollout of all the different modes in the game and it's it, it's interesting so right off the bat when you start the game you have the battle dojo for local one on one you have the single player story mode and you have the online turf wars and as I think we talked about this before, single player is its own self-contained thing. You have power eggs that buy you new equipment, but that's only in single player. Everything else, multiplayer, uses a point system that's due online and separate. But uh, the, the, ca- the, the main online mode, and the only one you're going to have at first, is Turf War. And it's the most casual of the bunch. It's, it's what we got to play in the Global Test Fire, which we'll talk about. And once enough players, I think we've talked about this before, but once enough players hit level 10, they then get to unlock, at Nintendo's will... They will unlock the first of ranked battles, and ranked battles are kind of the next major step for the game. So it starts with Splat Zone, which is basically King of the Hill. You're fighting for one little turf of, of paint. But then from there, it expands throughout the summer to include other things. And some of the new modes they discuss are, well, they only show two. One sounds cool, one we know nothing about. The first one is Tower Control, which is uh, basically you're on this like monolithic tower, and you have to have, I think, at least one player on it at all times, right? And then at, when you yeah, do, it, it tell, moves uh, forward. I can tell if it's um, you need to have a player on it, or there needs to be someone. Or, 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 well, I know you definitely have to like have your ink covering it for sure, like the top of the base. I think you have to stand on it because the whole everything they're showing in the footage is other players are trying to shoot you off it mm. or kill you while you're on. It. So I think at least one person, from what I could tell, one person needs to be on it. It like glides down the the level on a track, and then other players have to defend you. So have to defend it basically as it moves. So it's like an escort mission with a giant tower. And then, of course, you can have the opponents that are, like, sniping you from up high, and the other players have to run and kill them to make sure you don't get killed. Because if you fall off the tower, it stops moving until you get back on or until time runs out or something like that. So that's the first one that's coming in summer. It's kind of cool. It's different. It's very. I'd say it's different enough from, like, Turf War or Splat Zone to provide some new actual interesting twists. And the other one we know nothing about, which is called Rainmaker. All they showed was what looks like a goldfish with a cannon in its mouth. I guess kind of what the sim- emblem is for it. Making but, it rain. Yeah, going to make it rain. Yeah, but uh, I don't know... Yeah, th- that guy in that direct, he was something else. But I don't know... Um, like, I don't know what actually is going to... What it is. No one knows what it yeah. is. It's coming this summer. I mean, if I have to guess, like, maybe someone has to take control of the fish somehow, and then it will rain in that color ink. Yeah, probably. To make it it's pro- yeah, it's probably like a, uh, like a turret. Yeah. The fish is a turret, and you, whoever controls it gets... To yeah. make it rain. But uh, what's interesting to me is, so when they tweet about these new modes in tandem with the Direct, they made a point that, you know, oh, Tower Control will be the first, you know, will be a free a free new mode for Splatoon. And they're like, also, we're releasing Rainmaker. Didn't say the word free. Didn't not say the word free. But between the lack of details and the lack of, you know, really going like, it's free, you guys. I wonder, paid DLC? I mean, Nintendo likes money, right? Everyone likes money. But I guess time will tell. Um, the thing is, the thing is, the summer updates are more than just those modes because they're also doing um, 
stages and gear and whatnot. I mean, so at some point they have to make you feel like you have a complete game. Yeah, and that's not happening till August. It sounds Yikes. like. Yeah. So here's here's kind of the breakdown because before we can get to August, they're promising us all summer. So you're gonna start with five maps. And the maps are going to be pretty varied in terms of layout. They're going to have varying strategies. I mean, we even saw in Gold Testfire, some emphasize verticality, some are narrow and cramped, some are very wide, and it's more about, you know, some person could be off in a corner painting and you won't even notice, and they end up winning the turf war because they happen to paint more. So they're going to have these maps at first, and then um, every time you play, there's going to be two maps every four hours. That's it. And they will do, like, a news flash in the game, be like, the maps are rotating, and then four hours later... You have two more maps. So even though there's only five, you're only really seeing probably one or two during a single play session. The logic being, which mm, I don't know if I totally agree with, is like, well, doing it this way, you can strategize a bit. You can know, okay, if it's going to be these two maps, I'm not going to use a charge weapon. I'm only going to use a shooter or a roller. If it's that map, I should definitely only use the roller. I feel like only two maps, though, still. I mean, I get it. It lowers the odds. But if you're really trying to get like, oh, have people use weapons they know will work, wouldn't one map be the way you want to do that? Two maps, if they're totally polar opposite, you're still in the same boat as if you have six maps just without the variety up front. Like, it seems like kind of a weird artificial limit to put that's addressing something but not addressing it well. Mm. If that makes sense. Well, uh, I guess just because they're only starting with five maps, it's kind of like with the whole Mario Kart thing where you're yeah. only playing with three maps at once and random. Yeah. But Yeah, but then it, it swaps out like ten minutes later when you're on to the next three. Yeah. This is four hours, which... Which, I mean, again, it's going to be fun, I'm sure, but it's well, just kind of, I, mean, I don't know. That's kind of the nature of shooters. Like, part of the game is essentially having the whole map memorized, so... Yeah. And but it's not like you know the map advanced, so if they're randomly shuffling in no, the no, two, no, I don't, right? But, yeah, but I mean, I'm sure um, that's what the, the dojo is for, so that you could play each map and, like, memorize the layout. Oh, no, I get that. I know, but... I, I just mean, like... I mean, I get what you're saying, but I just mean that, like, their whole point of, like, we're only going to give you two every four hours because we want to let you be able to, you know, you'll know the map layout, you know I need to use this weapon, so then, like, you can prepare appropriately. But if they're shuffling the maps at random, couldn't you end up with two polar opposites and you still don't know which one it'll be, so you still don't know how to strategize because you're just stuck with map A that's tall, that's, you know, small and narrow, or map B that's well, super mean, wide? It, unless they're doing it, it by it, theme. It's, it's not going to be that complicated. Like, Oh, I know, I know. But, no, well, I mean, what I mean is, um, it's not like as soon as... I don't know whether you're going to pick your weapon, whether, whether they let you pick before or after. Mm -hmm. I don't remember how it was. But um, either way, like, like usually the moment you see the map, you should already know, like, okay, it's this map, so I'm going to have to be doing this. Right. Yeah, I guess it, they, it's if they not, show you the map it's, first, it's, it's fine. It, yeah. It's not so much like, oh, okay, these two maps are available. Oh, okay, I have to start planning right now, and then... Oh the, ma oh, the match started, and it's the other map. Oh, I guess I started planning for the long event. I mean, See, that's what I was worried about. If they show the well, map no, no, first, like, it's it, a non-issue. Like, it, 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 right. it should never be that case. Like Usually, right. anyone that plays the dojo or does single-player mode like, will get to know the maps well enough that no matter what map gets picked, even if they pick a weapon for, I don't know, assuming it's yeah. going to be the other one, they should still be fine. Although, at that point, couldn't you just have six maps and not limit it to two every four hours? Or yeah, five maps? Well, I guess at least this way, you're kind of guaranteed that you're going to play every single one. Because yeah. if it's six maps, then the odds are that you, I mean, that's, that's that's true. Like twenty percent chance that you'll play any particular map. That's true. That's true. And the thing is, throughout the summer, Nintendo's gonna keep adding maps, which is part of their rollout strategy. Yeah. So they're not giving a hard number. So, so, but so this method makes sense when for rollout. Have, once you have once you have a bunch of maps, but right yeah. now it seems okay. it actually even makes sense. Even now that I think about it, it's kind of a good way to do the rollout because it's like, oh, four hours are up. Oh, by the way, look at this new map we just released. Like they could just eat. They could just like shoot it in like you know like nothing, but. 
It, yeah, because they're going to have, they're not saying how many, but they're going to have a lot more, and they're saying that as the maps come out, they're going to get more and more technical, that's their term for it. So basically they're having everyone, we're all in this together, we're all learning the mechanics together, we're all improving together, and as the summer goes on, it'll ramp up. Everyone's on the same learning curve. It's basically a way, I guess, for them to control the learning curve, as they would in a normal offline game. Just leveraging the internet to do so, hmm. I guess, right? That makes sense. But, and gear and weapons is going to be the exact same boat. There's only going to be the three different uh, weapon classes, you know, shooter, charger, roller. But they're going to keep adding new weapons within them, including like a paintbrush and some other stuff as a roller. So that that's coming. And uh, in June, we're also going to see the first of many what they're calling Splatfest, which is another new thing they announced. And uh, remember the Everyone Votes channel, Everybody Votes channel on the Wii? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. this, is, this is basically the reincarnation of that. So... They're gonna have a random announcement when you're in the plaza. It's like, hey, it's time for a spl- it's time for Splatfest, and you pick a side in a question. So the first one they're doing, which is June twentieth for twenty four hours, is dog or cat. And you say, I'm a dog person, I'm a cat person. Then you go fight these special Splatfest matches, and whoever wins it contributes to like the overall dog, you know, the overall tally of is dog better or cat better. You're fighting for your you're fighting for your side. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of like conquest, but it actually makes more of a difference because yeah. the prize can help you improve. Like you get super shells if you win, and those help you improve your your abilities. Yeah, yeah, abilities. yeah. But it, it, it's yeah, exactly the super shell. Oh, that's something we didn't mention. We talked about single player. I, I think that's the one bridge between single and multiplayer. Are these super shells. Yeah. Which yeah, it actually is the super shell. So it's kind of crucial. They're hidden away throughout single player. You get them at key moments. You get them when you scan in your amiibo and beat their challenges. You get them through Splatfest, and the Super Shell will give you an extra piece of gear. So if you, you or not a piece of gear, an extra gear tri- attribute. Yeah, like you yeah. sell it to some attribute. guy, and then he upgrades. who looks like a total drug junkie. He looks like he's shot up on heroin, which is totally what they're going for. <laughs> and, and he found his way to the yeah to the, the dumpster. That he's area. basically like a Breaking Bad rejected character, but um, but yeah. So you go to him, and he will give you an extra attribute slot. And the way that the gear customization works, I'm sure we'll talk about more when we actually have the game, but basically, you're stuck with whatever, you know, you can customize your gear however you want, but of course there's strengths and weaknesses, but if you use gear more, you can add more attributes and boost things like your speed, or your jump, or your attack strength, or, yeah, or like that, your swimming speed, or... One thing that I just learned that I thought was kind of lame, but then I guess I'm okay with now, sort sure. of, is, um, like, you can customize your all your gear, your equipment, mm-hmm. but... For a while, like for, I would guess, I was hoping that like, oh, you could pick your gun and then you could pick what you want, like oh, it's for your bombs. Yeah, that's what like yeah. I, I guess like I was waiting for 100 percent confirmation that it's really it's a set. yeah, you just stuck with it and I guess like, oh, okay, so I guess the the splatter will always be stuck with yeah. the time grenades and uh, the bazooka. Mm-hmm. I don't know which. Yeah, I don't mind it too much because the gear lets you customize yourself enough. I mean, granted, the weapons are stuck in oh, yeah. pairs, well, but the gear lets you still have a custom enough character even within that, mm, those confines. I cause, feel cause, like well, because that just changes your your act. I mean, it just changes your. But I mean, it, it changes it. strength of it, it, weapon. It, it, it changes, changes your attributes, but um, it, I feel like it doesn't let you make any unique gameplay styles. Like what that's if, true. Like if you wanted to make a full on support character you could probably find equipment that like would help you achieve that or you want to be a full on aggressive one. I mean the only reason I'm kind of okay with this is because I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they probably try to figure out the most balanced way to spread these equipment. Because a lot right. of those ultras and things like 
they kind of seem like they'd be overpowered. Like, I'm sure there was a combination that someone could possibly figure out that would just be ridiculous and there'd be no reason at all to use anything else. Everyone's arguing the roller's already OP, so... Oh, <laughs> and I mean, that's just a preset combo. So, yeah, if someone found good, the ideal I mean, combo... Yeah. I, I'd argue, like, a good amount of people just weren't very good online. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I mean, but... it's kind of like when we were at the Smash Bros. tournament at Comic-Con, everyone said, like, oh, Bowser's too good, Bowser's, like, the best character. And he's nowhere near the but top But that's because there weren't many characters to pick from, and yeah. no one had played the game yet. Right, right. Like, I was literally, everyone, like, first time, hands yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So something that, yeah, something is going to appear overpowered. I yeah, mean, yeah, but my point was, you're right, they're going to find, like, if people are already like, no, oh, no. man, the spot where we're so overpowered, they're gonna, there will be some weird crazy oh, yeah, combo yeah. that becomes way too hard to balance. Yeah, and, and I guess it is this way, like, I mean, I guess it, level, it levels that out, and I guess... yeah. You have to get good with the set, which... Um... And it does, like I said, there's still a little flexibility with, um, you yeah. know, with the gear attributes. Yeah, it just comes down but, to the abilities. Yeah, because mm. if you think about it, like, you can... Sure, there could be one roller who... Everyone's a roller, let's say, but one of them can be super fast. One of them could be, you know, more attack-heavy. So you still have that, that variance a little. Although it's not the same as... <laughs> Even though there is one variant of the roller... That looks like, I don't know why I would want to use any other variant, but super huge one. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you splatter it, which is basically when you just pick it up and shake it. it yeah. It to cover it a ton of It splashes everything, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, and of course, as Nintendo rolls out more weapons, we'll probably see new combos. So at least they're keeping it fresh that way, which is nice. But uh, the other thing they're rolling out, which we should probably mention, is... Oh, but we kind of got sidetracked. The, the, the Splatfest thing. Uh, you know what's crazy about that is... That the Squid Sisters are hosting it? Well, first of all, there's that. I did not necessarily need a musical interlude in the middle of my Nintendo Direct, especially in a language that isn't real, but that's okay. <laughs> with subtitles that with are... With subtitles that are, like, I don't even know what. Whatever also isn't real. But, um... No, I was gonna say, like, it's just... I've said this so many times on the show, I'm gonna say it again. Nintendo cannot let go of an old idea. Splatfest is everyone votes, everybody votes channel with gameplay. I mean, Smash Bros. kind of has a weird half-step of that, where you do, like, the character percentage, you know, pick your character thing that they ran, the, what's it called? Challenges? Conquest? What is it? You know what I'm talking Conquest. about? Yeah, Conquest. So there's that, but then, like, this is literally like, hey, remember Everybody Votes Channel? We had random questions, and then you, like, picked what you want. It's that, just with gameplay attached. It's like they never gave up on e-reader. Now we have Amiibo. They never gave up on connectivity. They, they don't... If they like an idea, never give up on 3D. If they like an idea, they will keep shoehorning it in until it works. And I think this is probably what they envisioned as being the ultimate for something like this. So it's kind of cool to bring it back. But then in August, we were mentioning August is a big one. There's going to be a huge update. Um, so first when the game launches, you'll be able to join a friend in random online battles. That's the day one situation. So if you see them playing, you can join into their match. And how it works is after every match in an online battle at launch, everyone gets shuffled in the lobby if they choose to stay. So all the two teams of four get completely mixed, matched, whatever. Uh, so sometimes you'll be playing with your friend. Sometimes you'll be playing against your friend. Which is really annoying. Yeah. Well, There should never be an option. Well, here's what's happening in August that sort of addresses it, but I think you probably still have concerns. So once August rolls around with this big update, they're going to add proper matchmaking. So you'll be able to play against friends in one of two ways. You and up to three other fr- you and three other friends can either be a team of four and go fight other random teams of four, or you can do a room with eight people and it's everyone you know, and I think you pick teams, and you pick all the custom rules of that. You could pick, you know, you could pick what type of rank ballot is. You can pick the time limit. I think it still shuffles you. Does it? With all eight oh, people. with all eight. Well, okay, but either way, you get to customize what type of match, which is better than some of the other yeah. options. So it's like okay, they provide options, but they're yeah. all. Yeah. Um, they all pose like several problems. Like yeah, I know you have a bone to pick about this. Yeah, like this is a team-based shooting game. So like the yeah. first thing that came to mind, like okay, I want to play with my friends, but now they're saying. I'm only going to be able to play with my friends sometimes. Well, no. 
your friend can join you. No, no, but no, you better. On the same oh, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, but you better hope it shuffles. Yeah, in I'm only gonna be with yeah. my team, with my friend, like some of the time. Like, yeah. I don't want to be playing against them if I'm playing with friends. I want to play with my friends, especially right, against right. random people. And then my other issue is, I like, it, I'm okay with like just being able to play with one other person, but that already sucks because they're gonna be shuffled around. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think I'm gonna be able to get up to four people, like. Yeah, I to can't play with consistently. Like, it's already hard enough to coordinate to play with four people with a game that isn't cooperative. Like just playing with four people with Smash Brothers, like online. Online, yeah. Like it's ridiculously hard. You have to like join a Facebook group just to find active people. So, and and it, so you have to have two sets of those like yeah. already going on. So that's already going to be I don't know, hard to do. Like in addition to all these other modes that are going on, I remember they're having an issue with having multiple modes because apparently they didn't want a lobby to go stagnant because they're not going to start a match until eight people are playing. Yeah. But now that they're like splitting it up this much, I feel like that mode is going to go the way Fall of Cybertron did where they had a bunch of really, really good modes, but they have so many that if you go to one, you probably never get to play it because there aren't enough people to play it. It is a legit concern, especially as they roll out new modes. What's going to stop people from saying, oh, I'm screw tower mode. I can't wait to play Rainmaker. But then someone's going to be like, I love tower mode. Why is there no one here? Exactly. Like people are the audience. The audience is already so small. Potential. Well, Toon Town's credit. They're marketing this thing like mad. Like I, I have not seen them push a game this hard in a very long time. So I'm hopeful that means it'll be a big audience. But the Wii U only has about nine million people around the world. Only a fraction ask to buy the game, and only a fraction ask to play any one mode at any one time. You, you are completely fracturing your base here. It, it is a legit concern you're raising. I think. I mean, there are already. Not that many Wii's out in the wild. Wii U, yeah. Wild. And I mean, we, we're we're seeing a similar issue. Like, my I just talked to my friend the other day who got a Wii like last Christmas and was playing Mario Wii U? or a Wii U. Thank you, last Christmas. No, he got a Wii. He, he's like eight <laughs> years late to the bandwagon. No, he got a Wii U last Christmas. He loves it. He plays Mario Kart all the time. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like the second DLC came out, and you know it's pretty active, and that just dropped off. All my races are like seven people. I don't hit twelve, and I do worldwide, which is well weird because one, I'm pretty sure it's still active. Whenever I hop online, the few times I do these days. I get 12. But more to the point, if Mario Kart, the game that over depends on time 50... time of day, but sometimes I'll get like three or four people. Yeah, it might be time of day. It depends it on be... your ranking too. That's yeah. true. That's true. But I mean, if my point was, if Mario Kart, even with the stipulations of ranking and everything, if you're having trouble filling out your 12 racers for Mario Kart, and that's the most popular Wii U game, it's the best seller, we'll talk about it later, it's, it, over half of all Wii U owners own that game. That's a large chunk. If that can't fill out, imagine what like Rainmaker mode in Splatoon will be in, say, next January. Yeah. Like, it's it's a legit concern, I think. Not only that, but also that uh, last mode you mentioned where you have eight friends playing together. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be able to I play that. I don't know eight people with the Wii U. I know maybe five. Like, I have a lot of... The lucky thing is that um, thanks to Smash Brothers, I've been friending a ton of people randomly. Right. And, and the podcast. We know people through the podcast on Wii U. But, like, between all that, I mean, I think my friends list is at... I don't know. I think it's, like, at almost 70. Maybe... Maybe 50 or, like, between 40 and 50 of those are people I actually intentionally wanted to find, whether it's, like, right. the podcast or someone I, I met on <laughs> Intentionally wanted. Yeah, like, Sorry to those five listeners who he begrudgingly friended. I <laughs> said <laughs> 50, but anyway. Um, Ice gang. No, like, people I unintentionally are just, like, there's something called Smash Ladder, which is how you forego for glory just playing random people. Yeah. You kind of mm-hmm. enter this, like, rank thing. But, um... So you get a lot of friends that way. So when we went to the test fire, I saw that there were a ton of people playing Splatoon. So oh yeah, they're like maybe twelve pe- playing when I played. So maybe because everything is so randomized, maybe people won't really care as much that they're just gonna play random. Yeah, play with random friends. 
Yeah. Even though it's still random because you don't, you're not talking to them, so you're not really Yeah, the lack of voice chat's interesting. Because when we did the test fire, I guess we'll sort of for a minute dabble in test fire impressions just about voice chat. But when we did the test fire, obviously there's no voice chat in that because there's no voice chat in the whole thing. So I'm sitting there and I'm playing and it's really fun. We'll get to that. But I'm just kind of like, all right, here's a guy, here's a couple guys with rollers on my team. I assume they're just going to fan out and start covering the map. And then one guy just, like, started following the other, and I'm like, I wish I could somehow tell them, guys, just go in different directions, and we'll flank you, or something. Like, like I was following one of them, because, like, I'll be his backup. But then the other guy started following him, too. I'm like, what? I go, why are you painting the same spot twice? Like, I wish I could just give advice, or give a hint, or give a nudge. You can't say, come on, and good job, or something like that, like, with the D-pad. Yeah. So, when, you know, if we all died, I'd joke and be like, come on, and someone be like, ha, or whatever the other response is. But... You do kind of... I mean, you don't need the voice chat. It's not crucial. But there were times where I was like, it would be really nice if I could say something right now. Yeah, I mean, we got lucky a few times. Like, I know it's like... When I was playing, he got some teammates that... We got three rollers. And, right. And they actually all fanned out in different directions. Which is how they should do it. You should really use the map on but, gamepad. I mean, it's there for a reason, folks. No, yeah. I mean, you just look at the gamepad. It's not... There's only... It's four on four, and the maps aren't that big. So, yeah. it's pretty easy to... No, okay, everyone's over here, so I'm going to go over here. Yeah, but then for it's, some it's, reason, it's everyone crowded in mine. Just use common sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, we were talking about... Call of Duty, like, 15 versus 16 or 18 right, versus right. whatever it's, it is. It's a small team. But, but yeah, so, you know, it's maybe, because we were talking about the friend the friendish situation, maybe Nintendo will hear, not maybe us specifically, but maybe they'll hear some feedback. It's not out to August. I'm kind of hopeful they add, like, a co-op friends or something. Like, you and up to three friends can hop online in a random match... And play others, but you don't necessarily need all four. Like you'll, it could be two pairs of two or something. Like maybe they'll figure out a way that you could do a buddy system, almost like, yeah. you know, when you do local Mario Kart online, where we're in the same room playing Mario Kart as two people on one system. Obviously, they can't do that because it doesn't support that. But maybe they can pair them in a similar way, like you and another friend that you choose, or I, I don't know. Maybe that's an update for way down the line. Who knows? But I do find it kind of funny that last episode. One, the developers said there won't be custom games, and now there are custom games if you have eight people. So that that's kind of funny that they completely 180 that in the span of a week. I don't know if I can trust anything a developer says. I know. Well, here and here's the here's the second thing, and here's nice here here's the real trust issue for you. Here's the second thing. It's kind of funny because like last episode, I was saying that oh, it's so great, Nintendo's supporting this game long term. They said they're gonna keep rolling out features. The developers were like, yeah, we're gonna you know we want to be like an ecosystem that grows. We're gonna move it forward, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. Turns out, as we now know, what that actually means is it's basically Nintendo's excuse to get the game out sooner and then finish it later. So, and uh, I guess, I think we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of this going forward. Because, I mean, like, think about how Nintendo got to this point. So, like, Mario Kart 8 was kind of the original test of this. They made a whole game. They released a full-fledged package and then said, here you go. We're going to give you some DLC. Oh, you like the DLC? Oh, here's some more DLC. And then, like, gee, people really respond to DLC. We can, like, release a game and release more content and it boosts the attention of the game. Gives it higher profiles. Trending on Twitter two months later. That's great. So then they do it with Smash, and they go one step further, and they go, well, we got a release date. We got a hit. Super Smash Bros. is their holiday game. If it's not in November, we have nothing. So why don't we put out in November? We won't have tournament mode ready. We won't have sharing at all ready. We don't have a Miiverse stage finished yet. But that's okay. We can roll them out later. You know, fans will like the mode eventually. We get the promotional boost. It works. We're still waiting on half of that. We got sharing, but nothing else. Now with Splatoon, they're almost going even a step further, and they're kind of just like, well, here you go. <laughs> Here's what we're going to give you on day one. We don't necessarily need it to have everything, but we want you to we want to hit our goals. So, like, because they're basically at this point, like, they're giving us two, no, sorry, three modes, five maps, and that's it. 
which isn't horrible on one level because we are getting a single player mode and we are getting an online mode and we are getting custom ability custom stuff but it stops after five maps like that's it it's five maps that would normally not be a full 60 dollar retail package i feel like right it probably like a like yeah exactly but they're now they're like well yeah yeah but now they're seeing that like well hey mario kart you know people freaked out every time the dlc came out and it boosted the game's profile and got more attention free marketing for us smash bros even just putting out mewtwo got trending on twitter for days so like they're like well hey splatoon we can just every time i put out a map people are gonna spaz out about it so we might as well might as well just milk this a little so now they're like I, I, now they're just probably going to do that all summer. I suspect we're going to see a bump in marketing. Every Nintendo's going to keep tweeting like, hey guys, check out this new Splatoon map. Or like, yo, we got you a new weapon. Or like, BTW, here's a new mode we didn't tell you about. Like, they could just do this endlessly and keep getting publicity and keep kind of like holding off on finishing and like rounding out the package. Uh, because why not? Like, oh, here's some Christmas looking gear. Here's like some right. little elf hats or something. Right. And I mean, honestly, there's nothing wrong with that per se. If but what the we're mall stage is gonna have a giant Christmas tree in the middle, right? Exactly, or like little things like that. But and it's nothing. There's nothing really wrong with it per se, because it, it kind of lets them accomplish three things if you think about it. Per se, yeah. They, I mean, the three things they got to do is one, they they don't have to delay the game. They want to. They, I assume, they really want to get it out this week in particular, May 29th. That's Mario Kart 8 end of May going into summer week. Did wonders for Mario Kart 8. It allows them to promote it all summer long. It, can, it it's going to carry the Wii U through the summer. Like, it makes sense why they want to hit that goal. And it's going to keep giving us new things to play, which is nice. It's like it's not a one-and-done thing. It's a growing ecosystem, so there's that perk. And it lets them have a, pre, a built-in marketing strategy. They don't even have to market the game. They just tell you what's new in the game, and they get marketing out of it. So from their perspective, it makes sense. But it's weird to me because it's like we are no longer buying a Nintendo game as, like, a full package. We are now basically spending full MSRP on a starter kit and a subscription plan. Like, it's just a weird shift. Welcome to 2015. Right? Because, like, I mean, I said this a couple episodes ago, what happens if your hard drive crashes, like mine did with the Wii U? So let's say the, my hard drive crashes in five years. Suddenly all this stuff I have as Splatoon's gone, and I'm back to the starter kit, so to speak, of only five maps. It's weird. <laughs> like, again, Nintendo's not doing anything wrong per se. They're not charging us for it. I can't really fault them. And it's built-in marketing. There's really, like, they're smart for doing this. But it's weird as a fan and a consumer of Nintendo products to be like, Oh, yeah, I can't wait to get the first wave of Splatoon. And then more. It's like the Amiibos. Like, here's wave one, and wave two's coming, and then wave three in August. Wait for that. Like, it's just, I, I don't know. It's it's very different from what Nintendo's done before. And I think, I think we're all going to eat buy into it. We did with Smash Mario Kart, as I was saying. I think that means Nintendo's going to do this pretty much forever going forward. I think we're at the point where we won't see very many delays in Nintendo games. Because in the type of game where this is possible, so obviously Zelda won't be able to do this. But in the type of game where you can just serialize it like this. Star Fox is probably going to do this. I think going forward, every Nintendo game is going to be like, oh yeah, here's the start. We're still building the rest, but we'll give you like two-thirds of it right now. Because then they don't have to ever delay a game. Oh. It's like a workaround. I don't know. It just strikes me imagine, as weird. Imagine that's the only reason they're saying Star Fox is coming out this year, because I have seen a they th- do have like half the game plan for like months to come. There was a theory flowing around. I think it was from Chris Kohler on Wired back at E3 last year. And his theory was Star Fox will be episodic, and when they say it's coming this year, they just mean episode one. Star Fox, more so than Splatoon, is the perfect game to do this for. Like, bar none, because it's it's chapter-based already, just planet to planet. The plot line just goes planet to planet. Like, they could just chop it up however they see fit, and just keep... It could be an eShop pusher. I mean, eShop sales are up 
something like 30% compared to a year ago. So if Nintendo wants to keep pushing even further and get more money in, why not use Star Fox as the method? You know, you get the base kit, so the starter kit for Star Fox at Best Buy, and then you just get new chapters every two months or three months. Hmm. You know, they give you $20 worth of content, but you pay $60 and get the rest later. It's it's like day one DLC in reverse almost. Like you're still... Like day one DLC, they give you everything at once, but then they make you pay to unlock it. This one's like, well, we'll make you pay for everything at once, but then you'll eventually slowly unlock it when we tell you on your own, on your on our terms, not yours. But I don't know. That's my that's my two cents on it. I mean, I, I'm really excited for Splatoon. The test fire is really fun. I should probably talk about the test fire, honestly. But um, this whole structure was just like... I. I fell into the, the PR trap last episode because I'm like, oh, it's great. They're just constantly expanding it. That's so awesome. And then once they actually show just how much they're talking about, I'm like, that's not quite as awesome. Like, it's cool that it's long-term support, but it's only long-term support because there's less of it at, front, at the front end. So that, that's my two cents. I don't know. I mean, does it bother you? Like, when you buy a game, are you expecting I want everything day one? Or are you kind of like, oh, I'm cool with every two months to give me something more? Mm. Or are you really completely indifferent to both? Which is... It's hard to say. It kind of depends on how much I know I could play something. Like, sure. it, like it didn't bother me for Smash Brothers just because, like, okay, I know I could play online for whatever until they release stuff. Yeah, and I have been. For this one, I feel like it's not gonna bother me as much because I feel like I'll be satisfied with Turf War until they release whatever. Yeah, else they come next. But I mean, what about like something like you know the fact that friend matches aren't even a thing till August even though the game's out in May well because even when we get those it's not what matches, you want it's right? still gonna be like hard to do or even irrelevant so yeah true true but uh I mean that that's kind of what's on the table for Splatoon going forward I guess it's just you know from matches eventually this eventually I kind of just have eventually. to accept that I'm gonna have to treat every game I play like it's just gonna be just a subscription like, service like, just me yeah no I mean like solo oh not. yeah yeah so. Well, but then I guess you do get the pleasant surprise when, like, you're playing online. It's like, oh, J well, I don't know if you'd be pleasantly surprised I'm on your team because I drag you down. But be like, oh, Jason's on my team, okay. Or you'd be like, oh, no, Jason's on my team. Well, then it would be like, oh, I wish I could communicate with them. You could call way. me. I know, yeah. But, but yeah, most, most people don't necessarily have each other's phone numbers because uh, they're just friends, you know, online or whatever. But anyway, that's what's down the pipeline for Splatoon but of course the one thing we got to try now or this past weekend is the global test fire which for those who missed it it was three separate hour long basically online stress tests for their server they had two maps available uh, walleye warehouse and salt spray rig and I do want to mention I love how every single map is some sort of weird aquatic name pun but uh, it's they're taking notes from a podcast I feel like but um, yeah it was one it's cool because like the maps are a little different like uh the walleye warehouse was very narrow. Salt uh, salt spray rig was very wide and vertical based. So like you can see the different strategy you can use. You know, like um, the narrow one, it's a lot of very close combat stuff where you're just running around with the roller and just plowing people down. While the uh, salt spray rig was a little more like, oh, you can see how the charge shot could be useful if you're up high, or you could, you know, see how you could fan out and someone could secretly be painting one whole side of the map and you don't even notice because someone else is fighting over there. And then look, you won because you're guy in stealth mode. So it's kind of cool to get the different dynamics. But, um, yeah, they're actually doing another... If you missed the Global Test Fire, they're doing another one this coming Saturday. They just announced it. It's on May 23rd from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Download the free app from the um, eShop or the demo, as they call it, and then just turn it on at that time, and you just jump right in. They, they strip out a lot of stuff. It's just like you play, you pick your four weapons, you get pick if you want motion controls, that sort of thing. What was your takeaway? Did you? How many did you do? Did you do all three or just... No, um, I did two. Okay, I only got to do one, but it was a really... The hour went by so fast. I really enjoyed it. But what, what was your take? Uh, well, Dr. Nadine was over. It was fun. 
Um, we both really enjoyed it. Both can't wait to play it. Um, saw the pros and cons of like every weapon. Ah, uh, yeah, me too. Um, like rollers good, but it was definitely like we like after a while like we found it really easy to kill people that had rollers. I did not yet figure that out. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a way, but because, at the time I was playing, I couldn't. Well, basically, I mean, if you see them coming at you, or if you just know they're around you, like I mean, they can't really do anything. They just all they can do is roll. Like, they yeah. don't have any, any long-range weapons. Well, no, they can do the splashy thing. Yeah, but that's really slow. Like, that's by the time true. they lift it up, like, you're already dead. That's true. I mean, assuming they see you coming, I mean, but anyone can sneak up on anyone. That's just, in general. That's how I died most of the hour, is uh, I got rolled from behind. Uh, yeah. But... And we got to play that uh, Squid Jump, which is, like, their least well, interesting yeah. of their NES. Oh, the, the on the load screen, yeah, the 8-bit, yeah. yeah. But, I don't know, I mean, I kind of wish it would at least tell you what weapons you're teammates are picking beforehand so you don't have a team of four rollers yeah, or four we had a team, chargers yeah the charge shot's interesting or the charger's interesting at least to me because either you're really good with it or you have no idea what you're doing like the roller you can kind of figure out if you're it's somewhere you know you if you don't have the skills yet the the shooters you definitely can because they're just standard like machine guns but the charge like how it works is it does shoot that laser down the the map and anyone you know anything under a laser gets inked and of course you can hit the target with your laser and kill them but like it's kind of tricky i feel like. like you either have to be really good with it or you just suck and i was more in the suck camp yeah it, it's as a the sharpest learning they, no, yeah, they definitely all have their own feel to them it's kind of like team fortress where like not everyone is going to want to play yeah like i mean not everyone can play the sniper or something they have like some scouts or something like everyone We'll right. get their own niche. Their so, own niche. which of the three was your favorite? Which of the three was one you kept going back to? Because, I mean, you played enough that you got to go back to one. I don't know. I kind of like them all about the same. Yeah, I don't really have a favorite. If, if I have a favorite, it would probably be because of the the specials. And right, which we should probably talk about. We haven't touched on those at all, really, but the specials actually kind of mix things up a lot. Yeah, like, do you want, like, the airstrike? Do you want yeah, the, the sonic the, whale? Yeah, they have the airstrike, sonic whale. They have the, um... What's the I mean, killer one? whale. Or what, what was the third one? Oh, just like bomb strikes. Right, yeah, just standard bombs, bombs, yeah. Just a bunch of bombs. Yeah, yeah. like endless bombs. Yeah. yeah. Machine gun bombs. But yeah, so those those help. Uh, the thing with those is, we never talked about this last time we played the game at WonderCon, but you have a meter that powers up if you stay alive long enough. Really easy to overlook it and forget you have it. I forgot I had it so many times. Like, I'd die, and then I'd see it was flashing there the whole time. I'd be like, oh, come on. Because every time you die, obviously, it resets. But yeah, that... That has an extra dimension, I'd say, because you know you're running around, you're shooting, you're using your secondary weapon, your bomb, whatever, and then just out of nowhere, you can just unleash something, or you can just run, or you can super jump into the middle of a big pit of enemies and just use one of those, and it's super useful. Which is something I also didn't realize: you could super jump at any point. You don't only you can't. It's not only when you first respawn, as I thought it was at WonderCon. When you are playing the game and you look at the gamepad and use the map, which you got to do, by the way. You really gotta use the map to get a sense because you can't strategize with people verbally. So you have to kind of you do it visually. But when you when you use the map and then you just tap them, you super jump to them. You can only super jump to one person, or sorry, you can only super jump once per person per life. But you can super jump to them. At least that's what I think is the case. There's always an X next to them after I do, so I assume that's mm. what that means. But X but it's super useful to what. Sometimes that means they died. Oh, maybe. That might be it. But either way, also, it's really cool to just drop in on the middle of a battle. Also, the second like they got disconnected because there was um, maybe one or two times where my... The, like, you would... You don't feel... It's just like Mario Kart 8, the lag situation. You don't... You never feel you know, the lag yeah. directly, but you'll see people kind of teleporting around or 
you'll be painting and the paint won't actually get on anything and then you see it appear. You know what's weird? Mm -hmm. I had none of that. It was the smoothest online Nintendo experience I've ever had. There was no, nothing like Mario Kart's disappearing, not, no jittery lag like Smash Bros, no connection errors, I instantly connected at 8 o'clock, it was buttery smooth, like it, it did not feel like I was playing online. No, we definitely, definitely got people with bad connections, because then those people that were causing the problems ended yeah. up like leaving the game, like mid-game. Oh, okay. So it was basically three people against one. Oh, yeah. what? sucks. Yeah, like they don't even get replaced it, with computers. The only annoying thing is I've read that if the host is the one that drops... Nintendo still doesn't have Nintendo figure this out. There shouldn't be a single if the host drops, you all the match ends. I don't know why Nintendo can't figure out just have the host be your server and have people hook into it. There doesn't mean to be a lead player necessarily. Like I don't know why they still use that mentality. It's weird to me. Cause like yeah, you, like you're saying, one guy against three. But what if the one guy that dropped? Let's say there were eight players and one drops, and that's the you know the lead player or whatever well that sucks for the other seven they just lost their match that they might have been really enjoying or doing really well in or whatever like Nintendo needs to overcome that I feel like yeah even though actually yeah I can't think of too many games that still do that yeah it's not I don't think it's that common but um I will I will say uh motion controls are interesting uh there is a bit of a you have to kind of get the hang of the fact that one of your axes is axes is controlled by moving the gamepad up and down and you can't actually turn it off. Did you try turning it off at all? No, I like the motion control. I tried turning it off just to see how it compares. And what's interesting is depending on the weapon, it seemed better or worse. Sort of. So I tried it with the roller at first. I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, right stick just, you know, aims the roller. Left stick just moves me. That makes perfect sense. Then I tried it with, I think it was the charge shot. And it just, it was awful. Like, because the right stick's kind of the camera, sort of. So it's just like, it's the camera and you're aiming. It's just like, I don't know what's happening. Like, that made me really appreciate the motion controls mm, a lot more. you're using the roller, right? Because the roller, um, you definitely want to do all the motions with the right stick. Yeah. And the left stick, like, yeah, control the camera, and you can technically steer yourself Well, I was it. talking about the charger and the other No, 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 before yeah. that. No, oh. you did the roller beforehand. Yeah. But, like, you can steer yourself with the camera, and you'll make these kind of, I don't know, like, medium pace turns. They're not very fast, but you could do very sharp turns and very sharp movements just by using the right stick. See, I found that I could do that Oh, maybe I just using the roller correctly, but with motion turned off. Because I did that, I did those sharp turns without that, motion and you, on. And you yeah. can still do that with motion. Oh well, either way. Okay, then, so in that case, motion was cause irrelevant. Because then, then you definitely want the motion, because then it makes it easier to aim when you like when you're standing well, still with your splatter at. with your roller. Yeah, like, it makes it easier like to hit people when you're shaking the roller. That's what I was getting at with the charge shot. Is that I found that aiming with just the right stick with no roller, I mean not no roller, sorry, no motion was weird. Also, one thing I noticed is don't use motion. <laughs> like, don't move the gamepad up and down to try and extend the range of your shot. It does not work too well. That's the first thing I tried when I used the shooter in the initial match. I was like, this is not... It's just, like, arcing instead of actually going forward. So, it's really about it's really about a combination of swimming through the ink, popping up shooting, and swimming away. Because that's another thing is I'm used to normal shooters, so I was playing. I'm like, oh, where's the run button? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Swimming is the run button. So, I just... You have to, like... That's to... You have to have that moment of clarity about that although some people obviously are just like oh yeah i swim duh but for me i'm like oh this should, it's like call of duty but third person and with ink except not at all never mind and then it clicked yeah. but but yeah i enjoyed it a lot it uh there were some cool little things i noticed did you see in um the the rig level the meverse artwork on the billboards yeah yeah i think i think ultimately they're gonna let you hook in to me versus the meverse community no show art which is kind of cool cool way to highlight because there's a lot of good artists on meverse so kind of a cool way to highlight that speaking of meverse it wasn't in the global test fire but i do like how if you're in the plaza, you can not only 
see any of the people you've played recently in the plaza, but also some random Miiverse friends. And also, if you like the gear they have, you can order it directly from that screen. Like, they'll show you their full loadout of gear, attributes, weapons, and any of that gear you can get for yourself. So I imagine that means there's a ton if they're letting you, like, custom order it within the game in addition to just going to the, sh the various shops to get it. But it's kind of a cool touch. Um, There was one other thing I was going to mention. Oh, yeah, it's not even, it wasn't even in Gold Test Fire either, but smart Nintendo put a colorblind mode in. Oh, yeah. Very kind of forward-thinking of them. That is, that is clever. Yeah, it, it's smart. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you played Global Test Fire twice. I played it once. I'm probably going to try and play it again this Saturday if I'm home when it's happening, because I really enjoyed it. But walking away from it, how did that leave you feeling about Splatoon? Were you more into it, less into it? I feel like most people liked it. Mm, but you... It did. It, 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 well, I mean, we had played it already at... At WonderCon? Right, but we played the year-old E3 demo at that point. Oh, yeah, it's all the same. It, yeah, it's pretty similar. <laughs> um, yeah, the only thing that was different was we all got to play different weapons as opposed to just right, everyone had a splatter. Right, so did that, what, how that... I mean, it was fun. Like, it, it definitely just assured me, like, okay, this is going to be a fun game. And I'm sure, like, our impressions of how the multiplayer was will be exactly the same just because yeah. they, ha they haven't even changed from the Yeah, I feel demo. like when we buy the game and talk about it in an episode or two, it's going to be more single player or just and, the other stuff. and gearing okay. up it, or, you know, customization, customization, how that feels and all that. But, I don't know, I'm excited about the... Yeah, I guess the demo itself made me more excited about the game, but the right. direct bummed me out about the game. Yeah, because so. they took out so many things that you thought were crucial about matchmaking. Or well, not took well, out, but left out, out, left yeah, out, left they, out. It, yeah, it just, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would say, because, like, I don't have that many people I play online with. It'd mainly be you. I don't know any friends that are immediately getting Splatoon, so I actually didn't mind the matchmaking, so just playing the demo... And I, I it's funny, because I played the demo before I watched the direct. So I played the demo and it got me super amped and I watched the direct and I'm like, oh yeah, okay, that kind of backs up what I felt. But I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I thought the demo was really fun. Partly because, I, again, I never had a Nintendo experience online that smooth. I mean, Mario Kart, I guess, kind of close, but I was just like, wow, they figured out their netcode finally. This is, this is great. And it seems like overall it went over pretty well. Um, Go Nintendo compiled a list of where the game ranked on Amazon immediately firing the uh, following the test fire. And it's kind of impressive. Here in the U.S. it was number one on the game list at one point, following the test fire. Amazon Spain, Spain it was number one. It was number one, two, and three on Amazon Japan, different, you know, like, uh, Amiibos and whatnot. It's like one, two, oh. Okay. Yeah, it was all three. Uh, in France it was number three. In the U.K. it was number 11. And, and uh, the game and system bundle was in the top ten, which is crazy considering who's playing the test fire that doesn't have a Wii U. Like, how's that boosting the sales of a system? I guess, yeah, probably. But uh, it was also in the top 20 in Germany. So this clearly worked as a marketing move, and I'm sure that's partly why Nintendo was doing it again this weekend. It was trending on uh, Twitter pretty much all weekend, worldwide. I suspect, we're gonna, I hope, we're going to see more of these like online previews uh, from Nintendo in the future. But maybe maybe don't just limit it to an hour, because that was the thing that bummed me out about this. Like, I'm super excited for the game. I'm playing it. 9 o'clock rolls around. I'm still, I'm halfway through my match, so it you know, lets you finish. And then I was like, all right, time to do another match. I didn't even know what time it was. It was like, let's go. And then it just, it doesn't even say, like, goodbye. It's just, like, disconnected. And I'm like, okay. Or no, it said server not found, or server turned off, or server unavailable. Something like that. Some very, like, abrupt. It's where it makes, like, a pop-up window appear. Like, it's not yeah. even, like, using the... It's using the system alert, yeah. Yeah, it makes it look like something happened, like, whoa, what happened to my Wii U? Oh, yeah, it should, it should, I mean, I think Nintendo, if they do this again, they need to work out that kink, where when you first boot it, it should say, like, we'll be going live at this time, instead of saying, no server found. And at the end, it should say, thanks for playing, you know, pick up the game on May 29th. Because they did a very good job of integrating the stupid, uh, buy the full game, pre-order now button on every single screen. They could at least 
maybe say it when you sign off and say thanks for trying it or something. I think it was kind of dumb that they were saying like, oh, pre-order at GameStop and you get these squid costumes or you could yeah. pre-purchase it and get this shirt that you could only use for the test fire. Okay, we should, yeah, to, to clarify for those who don't know, the squid costumes are in Smash Bros. Wii U and that's a pre-order bonus at GameStop but if you go to smashbros.com it says they're coming this summer implying that it's going to be available for purchase as well. Right. So that was not so bad. But yeah, the that was a weird thing. Pre, if you preload the game on your Wii U now, so if you go to the eShop and say pre-purchase, they give you two shirts or a shirt and pants or something for use in the global test fire only to show you already bought the game that everyone else is currently playing with you. Yeah. It it, it was like, why weird. only for the test fire? It just makes no sense. Yeah, it's like at least put them in the full game. If anything, do it the other way around and give a you you know like an early adopter like early whatever shirt or something like a special like maybe put like a baby squid on because you were getting it in its infancy or something like that I don't know like there there I agree there are ways they could have handled that better but is what it is I'm very happy with Splatoon though it looks like it's gonna be great minus the mode issue which again for me isn't as big of a deal as it is for you or probably a lot of people but I'm I'm excited for it it's only two weeks away yep. and we'll of course have impressions maybe not next episode because our episode is on Splatoon weekend. But possibly the one after that will break it all down going into E3. But uh, the rest of the news this episode, I guess to switch gears a bit, um, can be kind of summed up with a single word. Business. It's not so much game stuff, it's more business. So uh, Nintendo's fiscal year financial report came out. They had their investor meeting and a Q&A with all sorts of tidbits about their future. They uh, announced that they're doing theme parks. They had an update on their mobile apps or games. They had Amiibo news. They had, we have May NPD, and we're kind of all going to mix it together. We're throwing it in a blender and basically breaking it down in hopefully a logical way. So we'll talk about Wii U, 3DS, Amiibo, Nintendo's future kind of at a broader level. And then at that point, we'll wrap up with Nintendo's E3 plans, uh, another Ramtown mailbag, and then affordable space adventure impressions. So that's kind of the, how the, the map for the rest of the episode. So um, again, if you want to jump to a specific thing, we have the timestamps otherwise. Actually, otherwise, let's start at the broadest level. Let's talk about Nintendo overall. So, uh, we'll work our way down from there. So, first off, Nintendo had their year-end fiscal results. Um, why this is significant is because it tells us if they are a profitable company or not. From uh, April 1st of 2014 to May, or sorry, March 31st of 2015. And, of course, this, how they perform, charts how they'll do over the, you know, what they'll do over the next few years. So, the good news is they turned their first profit since 2011, four years ago, bringing in $4.6 billion in total sales. 75% of those sales are actually abroad. They were from not Japan. They are from the U.S. They are from Europe. And you know what's interesting is 92 of those 75% of sales were Amiibo. No, that's a lie. But uh, that would be crazy if it was all Amiibo. But uh, yeah, 75% were abroad. They had an operating profit, so the actual money they made after you take out expenses, no, they they made like five amiibo. They kind we'll get to amiibo. They actually sold a ton of them. We'll, we'll talk about that. They, they sold a hundred percent of their amiibo. They well, I know they did because of <laughs> they sold a hundred percent of certain amiibo. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, they sold no, they sold like a hundred twenty percent of certain amiibo. I still haven't gotten my nest from the UK. It's apparently not a thing anymore. They've oversold their amiibo, but anyway, um, they made an operating profit of two hundred seven million dollars, which isn't huge. But it's, I mean, it sounds big, but in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking billions of dollars in net sales, it's not huge. But what's worth noting is, um, even though they turned a profit and they're now in the black, their sales, in terms of like raw units sold, is actually down 3.8% year over year. The only reason they made a profit is because the yen is really weak right now, so that accounted for a 40% boost in, their, in the money brought in, and that's how they were able to turn a profit in large part. 
So uh, the question now, of course, is why are the sales down and what are they planning to do about it? So let's break it down. 3DS is up first. Um, so 3DS, normally we start with Wii U, actually, because Wii U is usually the more dramatic, interesting story in these things. I mean, how many years have we talked about the Wii U floundering, like, three? <laughs> how long has it been out? Since it came out. Yeah, basically. So uh, what's interesting now is in a bit of a twist, the 3DS is actually the one that has the more dramatic story, and that's because its sales are now down. So um, as you may recall, in a previous Nintendo Financial report that we talked about, Nintendo lowered its expectations for the system. They originally wanted to sell 12 million, million units in this, you know, this past fiscal year, so April 2014, or 20, yeah, 14 to March 2015. It turned out, uh, when they lowered it to 9 million, that still wasn't low enough, they were just shy of it with oh so close 8.73 million. Which is like, oh, well, that's no big deal. That's a rounding error at that point. Except, you have to keep in mind, they launched a brand new version of the 3DS in two out of three territories that they sell in, in that window. So they couldn't even hit their goals with the launch of a new system, which is a little concerning. Um, so to the new 3DS and new 3DS XL's credit, which came out, for those who don't remember, here in the U.S. and in Europe in February, uh, they they are off to what Nintendo's calling a good start. That's, how, that's the quote they're using, a good start. So since they came out, originally in Japan last October, the new 3DS exclusively, the XL and the regular, that subcategory, has sold 2.45 million units worldwide. Which sounds good. If you break it down, it's 1.34 million in Japan, about 670,000 here in the U.S., and 440,000 in Europe. So not lining up the charts tremendously in any one region except Japan, but holding its own. It's still kind of hard to come by in the U.S., so that's you know that explains that. However, you got to keep in mind that the new 3DS launched in Japan last October. So if you take into consideration just 3DS sales from January till now, like post-holiday season. It only sold 1.7 million, and that's with the launch of the new system in many territories. And that's for the entire family of 3DS products. That 1.7 million is the new 3DS here, the new 3DS uh, in Europe, or well, the XL here, the new 3DS and the regular in Europe, the 2DS, the regular 3DS, the regular 3DS XL. Combined, they couldn't pass 2 million when they launched a complete revision in two territories. Uh, so that's, yeah, it's a lot of 3DSs, but not a lot of them moving off shelves, so it's not, not so good. So uh, the upside is the new 3DS is helping software a lot. And you have to keep in mind how awful would sales have been if they missed, if they didn't release the new 3DS. Like, clearly that thing boosted it, because, I mean, you know, 600, uh, what I say it was? 670,000 in the U.S. of the new 3DS. If you subtract that, you're already down to about 1 million 3DSs sold here in, um, you know, in the first january to march so if you subtract then the european one you're talking like maybe half a million 3ds's would have been sold outside the new uh the new ones so probably good they had it it boosted sales to get them very close to their goal but what really it really helped with were uh, software sales it uh for example majora's Mask 3d which came out just in february has already sold over 2 million worldwide which is pretty good and um to date there have been 225 million 3DS games sold since the system came out. That's for a total of 52 million different 3DSs in the world. So, not horrible. I mean, some of the sales milestones are pretty impressive. You've got uh, Pokemon X and Y are the top sellers of all time. So far, 13.85 million combined. Mario Kart 7 on its own sold 11.7 million. Right behind that was Mario 3D Land with 10 million. And then, here's one that's interesting. Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Pokemon Auras came out in November. So it's been out what, five months, four months? Already at 9.94 million combined. It's going faster than I think X and Y was going. 
So, but also, I guarantee it's cutting off X and Y sales. I don't think X and Y is going to sell anything more because now everyone's buying Omega and Alpha. How else would it, you know, propel that quickly? That wouldn't make sense. What? what? I just didn't catch what you said. No, I said that wouldn't make sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one game that I did not expect to see on this list, Tomodachi Life. Really? 4.18 million copies the sold worldwide. The baby making simulator? I mean, I, I, I guess. Isn't that Love Plus? No. I mean, you do make a baby. It's a baby raising simulator, which not called Imagine Babies. No, <laughs> Tomodachi Life is all about getting your little me to get married and make a baby. I, well, it's more than that. It's about living an alternate life. A Tomodachi one, if you will. But yeah, no, I, I knew it was doing decently. Uh, what about one, a friend one? What? That's what Tomodachi means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend life, yeah. It's about having a friend in a digital world that you can interact with because you have none in the real world. And apparently 4.18 million people have none in the real world, myself included. You actually bought the game? Yeah. Huh. We talked about it on the show. Where were you? I completely forgot. Yeah, I bought I, it. I, I thought that was just the move-in demo. No, I bought it. I have it. I played it for like a month and then got tired of it because it runs out of stuff to do so quickly. That doesn't even feel that way. But what's crazy is that like, it's sold 4.1 million. I had it in your BDS for a month. No, I played it for like a month. <laughs> but anyway, what's crazy about that is Europe propelled a lot of that. Like it was been out in Japan for a while, came to America, sold over a million, did fine. But Europe is like actually... Did it was probably on par with Animal Crossing at one point, which is in terms of sales, which is kind of nuts. Uh, but yeah, so that's what Nintendo's current situation is. So of course, their goal going forward for next fiscal year is um, they want to keep the software sales up, but they are somewhat admitting defeat on the hardware, which is never a good thing to say. But uh, basically, they're admitting the 3DS is in a downward trend. They are saying in the next year, they're expecting to sell a total of 7.68 million units. That's 13% less than what they ended up selling this year. And if they miss that goal, which is certainly possible, they miss this one, we're talking even more than that. So we might be, 3DS might be winding down a little already. But what's, um, what's particularly interesting about it is the reasoning for why it's winding down one place versus another and how they plan to sell those 7.6 7 million actually varies tremendously based on which region you're in. So... Uh, Satoru Iwata, Nintendo's global president, for those who somehow still don't know, um, he did an investor meeting, he talked with investors, did a Q&A, and one of the things he mentioned was their plan for how they're, you know, the two different, the dichotomy of these two different regions and what they plan to do. So in Japan, Iwata argues that the 3DS has actually reached its full potential with the current uh, audience. They've sold 19 million over there, which is a healthy number, and they suspect that um, hardware sales are leveling off, because they're seeing software still do gangbusters. There were six multi-million sellers last year in Japan. A new record for a single system in a single year in Japan. So that's great. But software-wise, I mean hardware-wise, excuse me, no one's actually buying it anymore. Everyone that has a 3DS has a 3DS. So their plan is now to go after people who don't have the 3DS. And what that means is women. Because it turns out, unlike the DS and the Wii, which had about 50-50 male-female split, the majority of players of the 3DS in Japan are male. So they're revisiting the Blue Ocean and they're trying to make games that cater to women more. Uh, the ones he cited as examples, Style Savvy 3, or Girls Mode as it's called over there, the fashion game. Uh, Girls Am Mode? That's what it's called in Japan. Animal Crossing Happy Home Designer is part of this strategy, and he, he even says Rhythm Heaven is considered part of the strategy because it appeals to women more because of the simple pick-up-and-play and the cutesy factor. Um, so in the QA portion, he did kind of elaborate, in, elaborate on it a bit more and just said that, just to be clear, it's not being super sexist here. There are, of course, a lot of women that play... Mario Kart, Smash Bros, Animal—they're going after the ones that don't. What he says are like the um, young, younger women, or women. I guess the men that play those games. Exactly, also. yeah. Because I'm probably gonna play Rhythm Heaven and Happy Home Designer. I'll be honest, especially Happy Home Designer. But um, 
Yeah, they're going after you. Girls mode? What? I'm not gonna play girls mode. AK style savvy. No, I'm not a fashionista. Definitely seems like the kind of game you would enjoy. I know. Well, give it a try. If they release it in America, which it probably will. I mean, there's a demo of the other one. Trend of Trendsetters. I think I even have the demo. I just never played it. Let's try it. Oh, I'm, I'm curious. All I mean, right. I, I tried that baby game. Where we all right. To all right. Next episode. Gather up a, a digital baby. That's right. That's right. Next episode, I'll have impressions of, of Trendsetters. Sure. Let's do yes. it. Let's do it. Let's see what it is as a game on its own merit. Yeah. Yeah. If Smash Brothers has anything to tell us about Trendsetters on Raspberry Catching Music. Yeah. All right. Deal. Let's shake on it. No one can see if we're shaking or not. So they, they, you could assume we are. We could say we did. We did. We're, we're actually not. We're too lazy to lift our arms. That's uh, so sad. We're shaking on it. It's happening. Oh, you have an Apple Watch. I do have an Apple Watch. Oh. I wasn't even going to bring it up. I don't brag, but I let you brag for me. Anyway. Um, he told me to say it. I did not tell you to, to say it. I did not tell you to say it. I'm not that ridiculous. Uh, but what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So he was saying, yeah, for, for Japan, they're going after young girls and girls. This is a direct quote. Women over a certain age. Which is a weird way of saying... He also says elderly, but I just like, so who's women over a certain age is not elderly that is not comfortable just saying middle-aged? Like, there must be some magic pocket of ages. Doesn't want to make women angry, because... Yeah. I mean, that's like yeah. A, a taboo. It is kind of a taboo. That's also right here. That's true. But, but it's funny to me, because this is totally the Blue Ocean strategy again. Like, Nintendo went to the... With Wii and DS, like, oh, the Blue Ocean, all these people that don't play video games, let's go game to play video games. So they went and they turned that Blue Ocean into a so-called Red Ocean, which is people who are already customers. And then those customers like, I'm over this, I'm done, and went and played iPhone games. So then Nintendo pivoted back to gamers who are also a Red Ocean, but one they can at least guarantee they'll find fish in, to keep the analogy going. But now the Red Ocean's cleared up. The original Blue Ocean that turned red is turning blue again because those people haven't played in a while. So Nintendo's like, you know, could just keep going back to that every time the water's clear. So in other words, I think we're going to be in a vicious cycle now of like Blue Ocean, Red Ocean, Red Ocean, Blue Ocean. But it's that's their strategy for Japan. It's just go after those women and try and loop them in. Uh, for the rest of the world, it's a lot simpler than that. Here in the West, uh, Nintendo thinks there's still room for improvement in general. There's still growth. There's still systems to sell. They haven't hit a threshold. They haven't seen hardware, you know, taper off, and but software continue to accelerate. So they think they think there's potential there. And their financial report cites three examples of how they're going to sell games to the core gamers and people that buy video game systems and aren't of a specific gender or specific subset of a what? market. And those three games are, this is just a sampling because they've announced nothing else, Xenoblade Chronicles 3D, The New Fire Emblem, and Rhythm Heaven. Now what's interesting about Rhythm Heaven, it's not announced for America yet. Now they didn't specifically say Rhythm Heaven's coming to America, but they said these core you know, games that we're focusing on to propel the system in general are Rhythm Heaven and Fire Emblem and Xenoblade. And the thing about Rhythm Heaven is they gave it a, a sort of English name, implying it may come out over here. It's not listed in their of their you know official releases, but in the press release or in the financial details, it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna have the new Fire Emblem temp name and Rhythm Tengoku temp name. If they were talking about their Japanese names, it would be Fire Emblem If and Rhythm Tengoku. Tengoku. But the fact that they put Isn't the, it like Rhythm Tengoku like all the best. Yeah, name? yeah, because it's a collection. It's a half collection, half new. Yeah. But the fact that they called it New Fire Emblem. Temp and Rhythm Tengoku Temp opposed to Fire Emblem If and Rhythm Tengoku makes me think that means Rhythm Heaven is probably coming over here and they kind of let the cat out of the bag in a very similar way. Most likely. Because, I mean, what else do they have this year? Happy Home Designer? Another Pokemon? I don't think they're going to do that. Project Robot? Project Robot? That's for Wii U. Giant Robot? Yeah. Well, they're releasing Wii U. Oh, for 3DS? Yeah. I don't yeah, I mean, for 3DS. Like, thing. they need more 3DS games and. Sure, Rhythm Heaven's not a huge seller. I think the Wii U actually... The Wii U one almost bombed. Aquarium Patrol? But, 
aquarium patrol? I mean, he worked in a regular museum. He worked true. at a park patrol. Maybe That's not true. He had to go to an aquarium. Aquar algae sweeper. Should be Robo algae sweeper. Algae netter. But either way, or maybe um, just another regular adventure. Possibly. That's not. I I want that. I want a real Chibi Robo. I would rather have it on Wii U, to be honest. But uh, that would. They could do so many great things with Chibi Robo with the gamepad. I know, and it never will. <laughs> Watch me eat my words in a month, but uh, for now, could, I, feel like I mean, it could be as gimmicky as like Chibi Vision, where you like raise up the gamepad, kind of like. Um, as a first person. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like looking at his perspective. It would be cool. It would be cool. Like full 360, like. I'll like, take it on 3DS. You like, know what? Like, like that thing that we're doing with the camera, with the live video feed, and you're looking all around. Oh, uh, panorama view. Yeah, they do panorama view with Chibi Robo's perspective. Just to That'd be neat. I'd be okay with it on 3DS on second thought. Gamepad would be good, but like they need. I feel like 3DS is a system they need to get more games on. So if that means bringing back Chibi Robo, or even you know what, I'll take a new Custom Robo. I love that game. The, th the Custom Robo Arena on DS was great, but but one game that we need them to revive Rob, make a redesign. We need them to make a new F Zero. Redesign Rob, make him for the new for the 21st century, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what else they could do with him. Yeah, he's on. No, just have to be a game starring Rob. They have their plastic set already. It's called Amiibo. They don't need Rob. They got Amiibo. It's cheaper to make. I, no, I just want them to make... Or just try to re-release their first Rob. That would be cool. As like a collectible thing. Yeah, just like... Maybe for the like 20th, 40th or 50th yeah. anniversary of the NES down the road. Yeah. Gold-plated Rob. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've said it with the Rob Amiibo. And that prototype that... Apparently... That keeps getting leaked over and over, yeah. yeah. But but um, I was just... Yeah. And even if it is fake, that's like a really good-looking fake. Yeah, no, it's real. I'm pretty sure it's yeah. real. It's just unpainted. But I was going to say that one of the games that uh, I was saying, oh yeah, one of the things we're going to sell the system with is Xenoblade Chronicles 3D. We already know how it's doing. It already came out. Like, he cited this already. Like, we already have info. So, um, it's the first test in this theory, and based on MPD sales numbers for here in the U.S., it actually is doing okay for, like, a niche Japanese RP JRPG targeted at, like, a specific subset of people. Keep in mind, it's also limited by the fact that it's only on the new 3DS, so you can't play it on most 3DSs here in the U.S. Only about 630,000 of them, as we learned. So with that said, it sold seven, uh, slightly under 75,000 copies, according to leaked numbers. Again, Nintendo doesn't usually release sales numbers too much. What they did officially say is that if you look at the top 10 software for April and don't bundle it together by software tile as in each individual SKU, so you know, Mortal Kombat's number one, but it's Xbox and PS4 combined. But if you say just looking at SKUs, each version for each system, Xenoblade would actually come in fifth place on the top ten. Whoa. Which is kind of crazy given it's small. Well, first of all, it's crazy because you only need to sell 75,000 copies to be really in the top ten. <laughs> but, yeah, some, some 75,000 people seem to be really feeling it. You're right. So, uh, it's kind of cool because, you know, it means that, well, maybe not doing gangbusters. The strategy Nintendo has of catering to gamers might might work a little. And, of course, we all know how many of those 75,000 were buying new 3DSs to play it versus already had one. But... Nonetheless, new new 3DSs, I should say. But nonetheless, it, it, you know, it's an encouraging sign. Also of note, Mario Party 10, if the top 10 was by SKU only, would also made the top 10. On the real top 10, where the SKUs are combined, the only Nintendo game on there was actually Super Smash Bros., which came in uh, ninth place. But considering it's been out for four or five months, it's not bad. Anyway, uh, back back to Iwata's point. I, that's a little detour about MPD. That's really all we know about MPD, so that's it for MPD. But back to Iwata's point... Um, that's how Nintendo's trying to push the system with new games, the, the 3DS, but they have another strategy as well, and one we've seen them successfully do before, and that is the evergreen approach. Uh, they did this at the tail end of DS, and it worked great. I mean, if you have a system with a robust library of really well-known and solid games, why not milk them, right? So the idea is, um, you know, if someone like 
goes into a store and they see Mario Kart, Smash Bros, Pokemon, Animal Crossing, Monster Hunter, which is doing super well actually, and they're all just on a shelf next to like a new game that they saw a commercial for, like your Koi Watch when it comes out. Why not? Why not leverage that? Why not repeatedly market some of those older games and bring them back as new things? They did. I don't know if you remember at tail end of the DS. They did this all the time. They released all the Mario games with red cases. They started putting them on TV yeah, again. Commercials, yeah. yeah, it's this is something they're they're gonna go back to the well and they're gonna keep pushing these games that have already sold well. So for us, as the core gamer, you know the core Nintendo fans, we have the newer stuff, Neo Blade, Rhythm Heaven, Fire Emblem. But to retract new people, they're also hoping to lean pretty heavily on what already exists, which isn't a bad strategy by any means. It's funny because it's actually like kind of makes DLC even more relevant for those people that already yeah. have it's like oh I'm seeing all these commercials for these games I already have so why should I care for like oh wait these games are also getting new content that I yeah. don't have yeah and that's actually something they're doing with the Wii U which we'll talk about is one of their key things about maintaining what little momentum the Wii U has is um, making sure that the people that own the system and own the games have new things to play with what they already own that's partly why Smash and Mario Kart are getting so much DLC and will continue to do so at least in the case of Smash officially uh, but I did want to say about the 3DS, all those games I rattled off, Pokemon, Animal Crossing, Mario Kart, Yokoi Watch, they're also going to be part of a new initiative Nintendo's doing to promote local multiplayer. They said this, I think, last financial report, that they were going to start promoting this in a new way. No idea what it is. I wanted Dan to elaborate. He didn't say anything. He just says coming in the future. But I think it's just Street Pass 2.0. I think I made this point last time, but if not, um, Street Pass was a marketing thing, first and foremost. I mean, it's awesome. I love Street Pass. But the idea was you're out in public, you pot your 3DS, you're using it in public, and people go, what is that? Oh, whoa, oh, look at that 3D effect. That was kind of the goal. Like, you're, you're it, Nintendo letting you show it off. It's to go with my Apple Watch. It's like Apple's getting free publicity every time I walk around with it because it's on my wrist. So being able to pull out a 3DS and use it and encourage people to do so obviously gives them the boost. So doing the local multiplayer thing is almost like 2.0 of that where they're like, oh, well, not only are you, is someone going to see you pull out 3DS, which you see all the time, but they're going to hear a gaggle of laughter. And there's going to be a whole circle of people. And they'll be like, why are they laughing and enjoying life so much? And they'll walk over and be why like, yo, Koi Watch. That's why. I'm going to go buy one. Yeah, so that's... And soon I'll have my own group of people gaggling. Yeah, soon I'll have a gaggle of my own. But, uh, yes, yeah, so I don't know what their plan is to promote that besides just here's some games that have local multiplayer. But Iwata says that's kind of crucial. So... The local multiplayer thing, the ev- and those are the evergreen titles you're going to focus on most, are those ones that support lo- local multiplayer. But yeah, so local multiplayer, evergreen, appealing to women in Japan, and just making more games for gamers in the rest of the world is kind of Nintendo's four-prong approach, three-prong approach to the 3DS going forward. Obviously, they don't have ultimate faith in it because they're still dropping their sales expectations, but at least they have some sort of strategy. So that's, that's where 3DS is going going forward. Uh, on the Wii U side, unlike 3DS, the Wii U actually held its own this quarter, mostly. I mean, it too slightly missed its sales projection, but it didn't have a new version of itself launch or a price drop or anything like that. So, uh, Nintendo was hoping to sell 3.6 million systems from last April through this past March, and they ended up selling 3.38 million, so a little short again. Um, 1.85 million of those systems were sold here in good old America and neighboring countries, the America continent. Uh, One million were sold in Europe, and only 530,000 were sold in Japan. Which really kind of emphasizes how Japan's more about portable systems than home systems. It's kind of a known thing about it, but now more so than ever. Um, Of all those that were sold, of that uh, 3.38 million around the world that were sold, only 340,000 of them were post-holiday season, so January through March of this year. Which is actually up 10% year over year, so they do have some minuscule baby amount of of uh, momentum going probably off cart and smash and that sort and captain toad and you know those games 
So it's working a little. To date, they've sold 9.54 million systems, which is obviously nowhere near a PS4 and Xbox One it sold, but given how dire the Wii U was, you know, it's not horrible. Half decent. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, the happier news probably comes on the software side. They've sold 57 million games since the thing came out, which is actually pretty respectable. That means that each Wii U owner has about six games. You and me exceed that by a lot. I mean, you have... I'm going to count them out loud. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. You have 18. You have triple the average, which means one person has like a third of the average. And that's just physical. But Yeah, and that's just physical, not digital. Yeah, they're talking physical, strictly. Yeah. But, I um, mean, I have something like, I think I have about the same as you, actually, maybe one or two less. But So we obviously bucked the trend. But, yeah, most people own six games, or on average they own six games. And as I was saying earlier when we were talking about Splatoon, Mario Kart is owned by over half of all Wii U owners, which is kind of an insanely high. Oh, wait. One of them isn't even in there. Where is it? Oh, where's it? It's still, it's still oh, Breaker. So you have, oh, so you have 19. I was like, wait, where's the red case? I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I hated it, so I put it inside of the box. So you right, see right. But, the uh, Wind Waker box, that is. Right, you put some Mario Kart red case in the Wind Waker blue box, or the Wind Waker Ganondorf box. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, so um, Mario Kart's owned by over half of the systems owners, which is pretty impressive. And um, other, it sold, just to give you an idea, 5.11 million copies out of 9 point, what I say, 9.54 million systems. So that's pretty respectable. Uh, other million sellers on the Wii U, if you're curious. Surprisingly, number two is still New Super Mario Bros. U. I feel like that game fell off a cliff. Like, the reception to it was not that great. It was a fun Mario game, and it's probably the best of the series, but the reception from people was like, oh, another one of these 2D Marios? Like, everyone used to say, oh, the game couldn't, like, launch the system properly. And yet here it is at uh, 4.81 million units. So it clearly did something right. People just uh, people only care about what people are saying. They're going to buy it anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And right behind that was Nintendo Land, another game that people were like, oh, what a failed experiment that was. That sold 4.68 million. So I don't know how failed. Everyone that plays it loves it, but so many people are like, it didn't sell the system. I mean, clearly it didn't, but it still did sell. And people that don't like it are the ones that haven't played it. Yeah, and it did sell 4.68 million, so that's respectable. Beyond that, you got Mario 3D World at 4.1 million, so it's slowly catching up to the others. It was, It's still selling pretty steadily, I think, because that number was way lower last I looked. Smash Bros. is already at 3.65 million. Uh, Super Luigi U, surprisingly, 2.23 million for what's essentially a DLC expansion pack. So half of Mario U owners went and bought Luigi. Which for DLC, I, I don't know. Is that... I? I think that's pretty decent to get 50% on DLC, essentially. Or, I mean, it was a standalone game, so it's a little different. But And then here's the one I did not expect at all. Wii Party U. Is a, it sold 1.55 million copies. I could have sworn that game bombed. No one talked about it. No one played it. When it launched, it sold like 10 copies. Like, where did the one point... We played it. I know, but where we play everything. But where did the like 1.5 million copies come from? That's great. I'm just It outsold Wind Waker HD. Wind Waker HD only oh, wow. sold 1.52 million. So it sold 300... Uh, sorry, no. It sold 30,000 more than Wind Waker. How? When? Where? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? Who? Like, I think it, it's cool, but, like, when, when did this happen? It's like a stealth stealth game. Like, stealthily just... Yeah. So so that's where the Wii U's at kind of right now. But, of course, the question is what's next? What's Nintendo going to do about it? And for the next fiscal year, uh, Nintendo's kind of keeping its ex- expectations in check. They are planning to move an additional 3.6 million Wii U which is roughly in line with what they did this year. So um, you kind of have to wonder, though, how are they going to do that when, you know, you don't have a big Mario Kart, you don't have a big Smash Bros. Nothing's on that scale to propel sales. And again, I think, uh, I, well, I kind of summed it up pretty well in the investor meeting with their plans. I will say, though, that um, he didn't say this. This is my interpretation. I think Nintendo's given up on trying to make this thing do well. 
I think at this point there's like let's just keep it going. Let's just keep sales flat. This is good. Because so, I mean, saying you're gonna sell 3.6 million after selling 3.38 million is kind of like saying, yeah, we're gonna just keep cruising with cruise control on. Like we'll just keep going forward. But uh, obviously they have to account for the fact that there's no cart or smash. But they're definitely not trying to like move the system forward. They're trying to keep it steady. So it, it's a pivot because they always were saying things like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna use the game pad. The game we're gonna show people with Miyamoto's new projects how the game pad's gonna be this great new thing that like you'll suddenly want to use it and you'll and all these people will go buy Wii U's." And they're like, "I mean, if we can keep what we did this year, next year, I, I guess we're happy." So so they're planning to do that in one of two pretty straightforward ways. The first part, which we kind of touched on with 3DS, is they're gonna leverage Mario Kart 8 and Smash Bros for another year. They're not gonna let them die. They're gonna become evergreen titles, and they're gonna do it with new content. So, um, I don't know what that means for Mario Kart, if that's a subtle way of saying more DLCs coming. But for Smash Bros, obviously they have DLC. I'm definitely expecting more DLC. I think that they'd I mean, be stupid not to. It's still, feel, it's still weird that we have a Mario Kart game without Diddy Kong and Bowser Jr. as the playable characters. Or, oh, they did add Dry Bowser back, never mind. I was going to say, or and Dry Birdo, Bowser. for that matter. Yeah, where's Birdo? I, I never used Birdo, but it's still weird that she's not there. Yeah. Yeah, there's gotta be more DLC. I mean, they basically said there were because he said we're gonna keep supporting the games. That's already one set right there. That's three characters. Yeah, and then you just need three track, uh, a Splatoon track, a to cross promote. Um, I, I feel like it'd be another F Zero. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, two um, random new things. And you could still make like a Kirby track, a Metroid. Oh, it'd be track. awesome if they did a Kirby Air Ride tribute. Yeah, yeah, because that was a Kirby racing game. But um, they, they literally have way too many. They, they could even just make one for Pikmin, just like a random wildlife. Just make yeah. it look like you're shrunken down, kind of like the toy place. Could look like you're quite shrunken. Yeah, down. that'd be cool. Actually, I'd be in favor of that. Yeah, like super giant Lee. Super have Olimar as a racer, tied him in Pikmin Four when it comes out eventually. Yeah. Maybe there's so many potential. Yeah, make make a cart look like a billboard or something. Oh, that'd be cool. Like the eyes are the headlights. Oh, oh that'd be cool. Okay, but yeah, uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, it's. I want to basically stand here doing more. Obviously, we still have Smash Bros. in the works. But what's interesting is his wording of all this. So here's what he said. He almost suggested, like, he, he almost suggested that us Wii U owners, kind of like what you were saying about how, like, early, earlier he made the point about the DLC and how it's like, oh, I see commercials for a game, and I'm like, oh, there's a new DLC for something I already own, and you go back and play it, and it's like something new then. He kind of, you were saying that during the 3DS part, no, right? No, no, no. Yeah, he, he gave me this look like, I didn't say that. He kind of made that same point. Here's verbatim what he said. We are trying to motivate our consumers to continually play the games that they have purchased and are placing emphasis on the ability to keep a high replay value even after time has passed. Translation, we're going to have a hell of a lot of gaps in our lineup, so we got to give them something. Like, that's how I'm... you got to keep playing those games you already have. Yeah, it's like, yeah, the ones they've already purchased, those games that they have and have already forgotten about, we're going to bring back. So, yeah, the DLC is option number one of how they're going to keep the Wii momentum going because, again, they can promote them, much like a 3S, they can keep re-promoting them as whatever. Second part of the plan, you ready for this? Nintendo's getting really innovative here. They're going to release new games. Whoa. Literally, in their event, he's like, yep, we're going to have evergreen tiles, and we're going to also release some new tiles, and that's their whole strategy. So, um, I want to put up a slide that had a number of different games that Nintendo's already announced that are coming before next fiscal year. So, for those who aren't aware, that includes Splatoon, Yarn, or Yoshi's Woolly World, Star Fox, Mario Maker, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Interestingly, Project Giant Robot is still on there. That's Miyamoto's weird gamepad tech demo where you're fighting robots. Somehow that's a full game still. I still think... And not it, part of Star Fox. I, yeah, exactly. Fun. Like, Project, the other one, Project Guard, apparently is part of Star Fox or disappeared off the face of the earth, but Giant Robot can hold its own, I guess. One game notably absent from that slide, though, is Zelda for Wii U. Double's third? Oh, and Double's third. 
I forgot about Devil's Third. It's still a Nintendo, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, two games are at, notably absent. So Devil's Third, I think, could still come this year simply because um, there's so little. They've shown so little of the game that they can easily bring it back at E3 and like as a reinvented. Like, check out Devil's Third, totally redone, whatever. But Zelda, I think the fact that it's not on that slide means we're not seeing it till tail end of next year, which matches what they've said in the past that won't be ready, you know, in a decent amount of time. So, and that, and the fact that it's not coming to E three implied it won't be out until after next E three because they always show a full year's worth of games. You know, like Splatoon's barely making the cutoff. It was at E three and it comes out two weeks before E three of this year. So, so yeah, it's um, we're probably see more games announced at June. I'm sure Devil's Third will pop up, but that's the slate currently for the rest of the year. Are those five or six games plus a few third party ones? But really, that's it for Wii-specific initiatives. Nintendo's given up, I feel like. Like, they didn't say that. It's just my impression. What's important to note, though, is all their other overarching goal, goals and plans to, like, excite new customers with, you know, uh, mobile apps and putting their IP in new places, like licensing out in new ways. All that ultimately will filter back people to the Wii U and the 3DS and eventually the new NX console. So while they may not have specific Wii U plans at this point, it sounds like they're basically accepting their, like, defeat here. They do have bigger overarching plans that could feed into Wii U. They just don't have specific, like, the gamepad's the answer sort of things anymore. Because clearly, we now know it's not. There is one short-term thing, though, that can help, and will help, and has helped, and that's Amiibo. So, the highlight, I would say, of Nintendo's financial report, but not their handling of it, just the, the sales numbers, and probably the biggest success story they've had this year are, of course, Amiibo. They've sold over 10.5 million of those worldwide. That's a lot. 11, all, yeah, so clo- you know, approaching 11 million amiibo in five months. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's a good number, and it's it's essentially double what they did during the holidays. The holidays they sold 5.3 million. Now they're up to 10.5. It led Nintendo to conclude that people don't care about seasonality with amiibo. It's not like video games where you have to backload all of them to the end of the year for the holidays because people buy more during the holidays. A lot of made a point that like, oh, with amiibo, if someone wants an amiibo, they're gonna go buy the amiibo. And here's why, uh, Mr. Iwata. It's because you guys don't release enough of them. So if you don't buy it day one, you're never getting it. But, uh, yeah, so they, they're planning to keep the, you know, the pattern going, uh, the release schedule going year-round, same volume. They're not going to do, like, strategic releases or anything. Um, what's interesting, two-thirds of all Amiibo sold are here in America, in the Americas, U.S. and Canada. Two-thirds. two-thirds of all the Amiibo sold in Europe are also from the Americas. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, two-thirds officially are from the, are here in the Americas. Europe has about a fifth of all sales, and Japan's at 11% of all, stri- all sales, with Australia having a whopping 3% of all Amiibo sales, which makes sense given it's the smallest region. But uh, perhaps the most interesting part of Iwala's comments about Amiibo are not those sales. They're not the reminder that they have, you know, the cards coming out in the NFC reader for 3DS and all that, or that there's Yarn Yoshis or any of that. The thing that was most that struck me most interesting is he apologized. He apologized for the situation. He promised productions increasing for Amiibo that sold out particularly fast. Uh, you know, or the ones that like are mandatory for certain games, or the ones that are providing to have you know that are proving to have particular high demand. So those those Amiibo they're ramping up. And what's interesting is in first of all he acknowledged it. That's nice. Second of all, uh, in the days leading up to the comments. Nintendo of America also finally issued a statement about Amiibo. And it sounds like Nintendo is at least aware of the problem, which is a step in the right direction. But I, I joked on Twitter that the statement... Well, that's what made it sound like they were, or they've been aware. Yeah, but it, at least they're acknowledging it in a more direct way. Because in the past, they're like, oh yeah, we know we have issues, but it'll sort out. It's the holidays. Or, oh yeah, we know we have issues, but you know, they're still they're still new. It's okay. And now they're like, okay, we have issues. But uh, they said on... I joked on Twitter when Nintendo of America put out their statement. I made some comment, like, it's basically five paragraphs of please understand. Like, they don't actually say anything. They're just, like, defending themselves. 
And it, it, it kind it kind of was. I mean, they did apologize. Anyway, did apologize for the problem themselves, and they explained, you know, that they're gonna make produ- additional produce additional inventory for popular figures. But then they also made some really weird comments throughout. I mean, there are things like I'm just gonna read a few quotes. Um, some figures will be easier to find than others. Well, that's vague. We will do our best to prevent demand from outpacing supply. Okay, but how? You don't tell us. That's weird. And they then, at the end of their statement, five paragraphs, remember, of this sort of like, oh, we didn't know demand would be so high. We're so sorry. We're, you know, we realize, you know, some figures are going to be more popular. Some demand will outpace supply. Yeah, yeah. Then they ended it with this pitch. I, I don't have the direct quote, but basically they're like, by the way, we're making the Amiibo have be a better value to you. Because we're adding Amiibo, because Amiibo Tap is live. Oh, Amiibo Tap. And, I know. And there's going to be upcoming Animal Crossing cards. So we're moving Amiibo forward, you guys. But everyone's response is like, okay, but we don't need it forward. We need the ones that are supposed to be here now to be here now. Like, why just giving a marketing pitch at the end? How does that reassure us that this is a, the issue solved? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a bit, it, the whole thing was like kind of fluff, honestly. I, I love the, the most recent statement they released. And it's uh, sort of related. I guess it's kind of, they're post after this one where they're kind of saying, like, oh, look, now we have these Amiibo available in these places, but then... But then they don't say where or how. No, 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 no but, that, but that's like, but they tweeted it, but then the link wasn't there. Oh, it's so back. They, they put it back. No, 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 yeah. It wasn't there for, like, a little while. So you see a bunch of comments like, oh, I got the link out of order. Oh, the, yeah. you know, the link sold out. <laughs> yeah, they... they like, oh, um, oh, I didn't click on the link early enough. Yeah, no, they, they somehow... It was down for seven hours. I checked when they first posted it. I checked again at the end of the day, and finally it was back that night. But I don't know what they're thinking. Okay, we should back a bit, actually, because your point about the new statement's a good one um there was one sentence in the old statement that led to the sen- that led to the new statement that kind of gave me hope so they said in the old statement i'm just gonna read it directly this is a statement two days before i want to apologize himself they said uh nintendo plans to make it easier for consumers to know when new amiibo are on the way through nintendo press announcements timely updates on social media channels and working closely with retailers now to me to me that sounds pretty solid i mean granted there's not specific details but at least they're saying they're going to do something, right? Which, of course, leads to the question of why aren't there more details? Because, A, if you waited five months to make a statement, why don't you wait one more week and have your details in your statement at that point? What difference does one more week make? Like, just wait till you have details if you don't have details. And, B, is there really nothing they can share? How, how is it mid-May? And they're like, we, we will have more information for you about things that are rolling out very soon. Just not yet. Just not yet. What? It's a secret. I, apparently... But uh, yeah, the thing that the thing the third thing I found kind of weird is um, why couldn't like this is their chance to back. Their, it's all kind of the same point. I don't know why I'm breaking into third, but this was their opportunity to back their claim. They're like, we're gonna do things on social media with press announcements at some time in the future, and then they didn't say when. And then of course on Friday the announcement you said went up, and they and uh, now I understand why they were so vague in that statement because their their timely social media updates aren't really timely or really much of an update so on friday they said again i'm just gonna read it directly heads up mars and a few other amiibo like meta knight and ike will be hitting shelves uh will be hitting shelves in limited quantities over the next few days for more information on timing and availability be sure to visit your local retail stores or check out their website so go bug them call everybody yeah so first of all okay first of all poor retailers first of all there are many issues with this one Marf was back on and off all week on Amazon prior to this announcement going up. So it's not heads up. It's, by the way, for the last five days, there's been Marf, in case you didn't know. That's first of all. Uh, also, what are the a few other Amiibo? Who, <laughs> we have three Amiibo and maybe some more, because here's where it gets tricky. Lucario's are popping up at Toys R Us. An inventory sheet that got leaked showed 1,800 of them were made. 
Meta Knight's popping up at Best Buy, and yes, Nintendo didn't mention Meta Knight by name. They have apparently 5,300 of them to ship out from dispatch centers. So that's happening, but we don't know when. Like, but apparently also DDD, and that one also. Yeah, apparently DDD, there's Ike. Like, they name drop Ike, but where do we find Ike? How limited are we talking? Like, is Ike everywhere? Is it select retard? I know he wasn't exclusive like the other guys, but will everyone have him? Is he going to be like Mark, where only GameStop and Amazon currently have him? And Target supposedly one day getting him? Like, we still, even though Nintendo put this statement out, we're still going to Twitter and Reddit to find leaked screenshots of inventory systems exactly as we did before nintendo started putting out announcements this doesn't this announcement came off to me as like oh who's ready for who's excited for splatoon are you excited for splatoon because guess what it's coming out in late may which day well you're just gonna have to drive to kmart every day and see for yourself but it's coming late may we promise like that's why release dates exist nintendo don't just say in the next few days an assortment of amiibo and not even tell us which ones are gonna be at some stores but we won't tell you where or when like, your statements that you're going to timely social media updates. So, a, Maybe they think they're doing us a favor by keeping the scalpers, like, off balance. It's like, oh, no, because the scalpers... Because we know we release the information, the scalpers will jump on it, so we're giving the, you the heads up. But here's the problem. Someone I, someone I tweeted, I don't know if this is true, I know you're kind of only half serious, but someone tweeted, I don't remember who, that something like, like, there's a huge skyrocketing of Ike and Marth immediately following them popping up online, or Marth, I guess, immediately following him on Amazon. Like, you know, Amazon shows you how many they have in their inventory, because it was flickering all week. Basically, anytime Amazon gets a new box full of them, gets scanned to the system, immediately goes on sale on, like, a back of, you know, like, a batch of 24, and then once it's gone, it's gone until the next batch of 24. Naturally, like, 40-50% of those 24 every time would suddenly appear on eBay a few minutes later. So the scalpers are, like, Nintendo's not helping or hurting the scalpers in any way here, because they all, they all have the instant in-stock alerts. You're racing with them no matter what. So at that point, why doesn't Nintendo just come clean and give us dates links to listing pages something i i don't know like it's just so it's so weird that they're like yeah we're gonna give you timely updates five days late and then not actually tell you anything i appreciate what they're trying to do i understand it's a little weird because they're it's new for them but we're going on we're approaching month six of amiibo this is excusable in month one month two month three possibly a month or two ago, but we're at the point now where they really should iron it out. When you have your CEO in two separate financial briefings acknowledging the problem and then in the most recent one actually apologizing for it, but then going on to say we have no idea when it will be resolved, which is something he did say. He's like, I apologize, but I don't know when it will be a non-issue. When that happens, you have a bigger issue you should be addressing here. You need to figure it out. I know you're selling out. I know you sold 11 million of them, Nintendo, but you gotta get your act together. It's ridiculous that you're having your fancies while Goose chases. And again, what's an assortment of Amiibo? Or what's other Amiibo? Who? Where? When? How? Why? The five questions of journalism. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm confident ultimately this this will be sorted out. It, I mean, literally it has to be sorted out at some point, or else they're just gonna, you know, one, one day this will be resolved. And we'll get Yarn Yoshis when we want. And we'll get Amiibo cards when we want. And that's all going to be great. But it should not be taking six months to do it. Like this... And I know this is like a total first world problem in terms of the grand scheme of things with everything in the world going on. But it's just like, if you've got to release a product, at least do it right. And if you've got to do it wrong, at least correct it half a year later instead of... Which they say they're doing, but then they're only half doing. So I, I don't know. It's baby steps, unfortunately. But I'm hoping the baby will eventually grow up and have normal human, like normal adult strides and actually like fix its problem. That's the worst baby step analogy I've ever heard. Baby step going to normal adult stride. But, yeah, no, I don't know. It's, yeah. I, I don't know. That That's my two cents. I mean, your, what, your situations, you've had to resort to buying almost exclusively from the UK and importing. Uh, unnecessarily. That's what I'm, I've never, that's what I'm saying. I mean, 
You see, like, I've, been, I've resorted to, but it's not because I'm missing any. It's because I think I will be missing some. Which kind of suck. That doesn't... I mean, it's still the same yeah. situation. You're still being forced to import from the UK in order to guarantee you can get what you want. Yeah. Granted, Even for though, those who don't know what it means... Like, I'm, like I'm still waiting for Amazon it. to go on pre-order, but... Yeah. Like, I may be able to get them all. Like, I probably will, but... Because I don't know that uncertainty just makes me just drives me to pre-order them like right. From so you the like duplicates, and then we have like, you know, now Amazon UK is running out of orders. And yeah, like I have canceled a few already. Yeah, but yeah, like I canceled Yarn Yoshi and a few other Amiibo. But I'm excited to get a Yarn Yoshi, and like I said, I think the future of Amiibo is super bright. I'm really excited about Yarn Yoshi because he just looks adorable. I mean, we saw him at WonderCon. They look adorable. And I like the idea of Animal Crossing cards. I mean, I had the Animal Crossing e-reader cards back in the day, so it's kind of cool to have the updated set. But that's all the... Like, that's... Hopefully by then this is all figured out. Because I, I really like the concept of Amiibo, even with their kind of, you know... It's sort of shady how they're basically DLC that now you're being required to... Like Splatoon, it's basically... They're locking out game content, and the only way to get it is by buying a figurine that's now hard to find. And I mean, I wanted this. Yeah, that costume you get from playing as the squid it looks really cool. Oh yeah, it does. But yeah, and I mean, two two like Nintendo, two Nintendo's credit, they did say they're going to specifically be. Tar- Iwata said they're specifically going after and repro and upping production of the amiibo that are needed for games. But really, it shouldn't even be at the point where they're not enough of them in the first place. For if it's a requirement for a game. But whatever. Uh, I'm sure the future's bright for Amiibo. They just need to get past this extremely big hurdle that they seem to be having trouble <laughs> getting over. Um, but speaking of the future, unless you had any other thoughts on Amiibo. I don't know. I think, I feel like every three episodes I'm now ranting about Amiibo, and I apologize to any listeners that are like, I don't care about those stupid plastic things, but I wasn't supposed to care. I was only going to buy three. Now I have like 15, and suddenly I care. It's, I'm a, I watched this video I'm a Nintendo whore. I, I watched this video that, that broke down on... Um... I guess the different kinds of buyers really well. Um, yeah. I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was just, um, like you have four kinds of buyers. First, you have your, just your, your hardcore Nintendo fans that are going to buy everything Nintendo releases no matter what it is. So then they That's get, almost me. So, well, I mean, they have their limits, but they but they usually just buy whatever they read. So they're going to get their Amiibo. And then you're going to get um, the people that just want specific characters that don't care about any, any other ones, just want those characters. Uh-huh. So you just have those two. Yeah. And I guess um, because you have those hardcore collectors, oh, oh no, okay. So then what happens is those people that just want to buy just those specific characters yeah. end up liking those first ones, and then they start kind of turning into collectors. So they me, start, me. Mm, no, you're still like I'm, you're, you're, you're like actually. I'm, I'm not a full collector, but I'm no, moving in that direction. No, well, I'm you, buying you, the rare you, ones. You, 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 rare. You'll see what I mean. You're like a hybrid of the first one and the fourth one. Okay, so third is so so the first one like slowly starts turning into a collector, so they start buying a few more. Wait, you didn't so, say the third and fourth yet. No, no, that's because I'm not there yet. Ah, sorry. So between those two, um, the the ones they made lower production though start disappearing or start getting harder to find. Yeah. And then you get the third one, which is just the scalper. Just the ones that just snipe out the ones that are hard to get, the ones that they know a lot of people are going to go after because there aren't that many, so that's the third one. But then because of the scalper and that whole situation, you get the fourth one, which is the guy that had no intention of buying Amiibo whatsoever, but he just goes to a store, and he's going to go, you know what, I'm going to go past the Amiibo section just because I know there's some that are hard to get, and then he sees one that's hard to get, doesn't care at all about the character, but he just buys it. That's me. For no reason, doesn't really plan on selling it, but just keeps it. Yeah, you're right, I'm a mix of one and four. Because mm-hmm. I, I like buying everything Nintendo puts out within reason. 
And then when Nintendo puts out things that I'm like, whoa, if it's rare, <laughs> then I buy it. Yeah, like, like they buy it just because they know it's going to be hard like to Like Wii Fit by. Trainer. Yeah. I have no interest in Wii. I've never played Wii Fit for more than five minutes, but I have the trainer. I don't know. But again, I mean, I the Amiibo cards, Yarn Yoshi, hopefully by then it's all sorted out. Because the future, the future is bright for Amiibo. And speaking of future, see, I reset that whole sentence. In my head, I had this whole plan of like, I'm going to talk about the future Amiibo and transition into Nintendo's future. But then we went on two different tangents. I had to keep repeating that line to set up my, ta- my transition that I was so proud of. And I butchered a transition by transitioning away from it to talk about the transition. So going back to the transition. Thanks for informing our listeners about that. Yeah, it's good they know. It's good they know how my mind works. Because it explains a lot about my opinion on things. No, uh, anyway, seriously though. Um, the last chunk of Nintendo's financial report is, of course, Nintendo as a company, where it's going next, what's happening next, the next wave of things, if you will, from Nintendo. And easily the biggest headline grabber that happened in the last two weeks was Nintendo's announcement that it's teaming up with Universal Parks to make Nintendo theme attractions at Universal Parks. So Universal Studios here, Universal Studios in Florida. Like the whole the whole mess of them is apparently in on the on the deal. So it's a big deal, obviously. And I'd say it's one that a lot of Nintendo fans have kind of been wanting for a long time because you know, like Nintendo Land, IRL, Disneyland, but with Nintendo characters. Like it's a cool concept for sure. And uh, we unfortunately have no idea what they're gonna do. We don't know what it entails. Uh, they're still pretty early in the development phase, it sounds like. All they say is they're doing it, and it's going to involve, quote, experiences. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. But what we do know, courtesy of the investor Q&A with Iwata, is A, how Nintendo, uh, how involved Nintendo actually is in development of this stuff, and B, how it came to be. So first, let's talk about um, how much Nintendo's involved. And the good news is, much like their plans for mobile, they're going to be, pr- like mobile smartphone games, they're going to be pretty heavily involved. They're not just passing off the IP and going, all right, Universal, you know how to make a 4D crazy experience where you shoot water in people's faces. Make it, like, I don't know, make it Squid Ink. Like, they're not doing that. They're very closely working with them. Uh, it turns out that Nintendo's developers are actually having multiple meetings with Universal's creative folk, whatever their equivalent of Imagineers are, I guess. And actually sitting down and going like, well, this works. Just regular engineers. Yeah, just, they, they don't imagine. They just engineer, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're having multiple meetings. They're sitting down and going, okay, this makes sense for this character. What about this for that character? How can we do this? How can we do that? So they're actually, like, <laughs> meshing quite well. <laughs> Reskin Jurassic Park and that final T-Rex is just Bowser. See, that's what they're <laughs> Yeah, the good news is that's what they're not doing, hopefully. But, uh, but yeah, I want to Put saying, some Mario hats on various raptors. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Or, like, the E.T. ride they used to have when you're riding the bicycle. And it's just like... Look, the Mushroom Kingdom. You're just flying over like, random photos that's of Mario games. Right now, I know. I just really like the ET ride. Okay, it doesn't okay. even exist. Well, they'll bring it back and then reskin it with photos of the. <laughs> they'll Mushroom bring Kingdom. it back just to just re- to throw a photo. Just to on reskin top of it. it. They'll go to Kinko's, print out a pre- Peach's Castle, and throw it under the bike, and go. There you go. You're flying over Princess Peach's Castle. Happy, but uh, yeah, this doesn't surprise you, right? But yeah, no. I, while I was stressing that, it's really important that like the two cultures, corporate cultures, mesh really well, and that they can share ideas easily. And it sounds like they're doing that. So that means, and it's definitely something um, Universal hasn't. I mean, it's something Universal has like touched on before. I mean, yeah. they always do Monster Hunter stuff. They've built Monster Hunter experiences. They have built giant like monsters that move. They're like giant robots, that right? Like awesome. animatronic. Yeah. They've built like the suits of armor. Like so, they yeah. they've definitely done they've, their they've video. They've done their gaming stuff. I've yeah. seen like Crash Bandicoot walking around Universal Studios a few times when I used to go. Wait, so Crash Bandicoot is licensed by Universal. And Nintendo has a licensing deal with Universal. Does that mean Crash would be in the next Smash Bros? And Spyro. That's Spyro. Uh, just, just old Spyro, not Skylander Spyro. This is before Spyro. I know, but I'm saying, like, don't let Sky... Actually, I don't even think Shrek Universal 2 was a owns... new thing. 
I don't think Universal. Oh wow! I don't think Universal owns Spyro and Crash anymore. I think they sold them to Activision. I don't know. <laughs> they did actually, but uh, I'll disagree with you. Yeah, I, I had to think about it, but yeah, they they definitely did. Uh, Skylanders is an Activision game. Spyro, Skylanders. Crash still looked like he did in Crash One through Three. Oh, before they made him a weird mutant thing. Before he had tattoos. Before he had tattoos and like Tribal uneven tattoos. eyeballs. <laughs> Why were his eyes uneven at the tail end there? They made him more of like a Tasmanian devil looking thing in his eyes. Not like the Looney Tune, but like a crazy like disheveled thing and his eyeballs were not the same size and it wasn't the angle like literally he just had one bulging eye if I remember correctly it was weird he was, he was very stressed he was King, King K. Rool he was basically King K. Rool with, but orange and without a crown and a little skinnier King K. Rool on meth yeah anyway uh, so yeah that's Nintendo sounds like they're actually putting some real hard work into this it's not just passing the IP which is cool but the other kind of interesting thing is how this all came to be so apparently it was Universal who came to yeah, Universal came to Nintendo and said, hey, you want to do this? And Iwata was saying in the uh, investor meeting that Nintendo's actually toyed with this idea for years internally, but just never found a good partner, never found a good like reason to do it. They just never really, it never was a serious enough consideration to do. And then Universal was like, hey, we have a really specific idea. Can we show you? And in April of last year, April 2014, Iwata stopped by NBC Universal headquarters here in LA, I guess, and had a sit-down meeting, and they literally walked him through everything. Like, here's our idea. Here's what we're thinking. Oh, and by the way, we just opened Harry Potter World. Have you seen that? Check this out. Look how real this is. Look how much it matches the book. And also, and also, uh, Japanese businessman, look at, uh, they don't know the name. Uh, look at this. Here's how we made Harry Potter World. Here's the process we went through with the licensing. Here's every step of it. And they're like, all right, what do you think? And Iwata's like, I'll take it back with, this is my favorite line used multiple times throughout the, no, 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 it's it, sort of. Multiple times through, it's just as polite. Multiple times throughout the uh, investor meeting, he says at least three or four times. Positive consideration. He went back with positive consideration, pitched it to Miyamoto and the other Nintendo people, and they're like, let's do it, and it happened. So Universal really put their neck out to try and get this one to go through, and Iwata liked it. But yeah, apparently the, Jap- apparently the Japanese are so overly polite, which is actually a really th- a nice thing about their culture I really like, but they're so polite that they don't even consider things, because that could have a negative connotation. They positively consider things. They could say it with a positive outlook instead of just saying, like, oh, yeah, I, I, I guess. We'll look into it, which means they won't. Yeah, exactly. But we'll keep in touch. Yeah. Which means they won't. Yeah, they have to specify when they're considering something, if they're seriously considering it, it's positive. <laughs> We're negatively considering Yeah, negative considering just saying no. Because, see, they, 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 they don't say no either. That's why, like, if you read these investor things, I know usually I sum them up for you, like, kind of like this, but if you actually read them, Iwata's not saying a lot, but it somehow stretches across 10 pages because it's like, there's just a roundabout way they talk, which isn't anything wrong with that's just how their language is, but they they can't just say, like, there's a sentence where it was like, oh, yeah, they're not going to have anything about the NX at E3, which we'll cover in a few minutes, but, so he didn't just say there will be no NX We're news. We're going to have a bunch of stuff about other things? Or no, he, he didn't say there'd be no NX news. He said something along the lines of, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's something like, um, for those of you who are hoping to see more about the NX or even our smartphone applications during the E3 Expo in June, I would like to inform you no, what was it? He didn't say no or don't. He was like, please be aware that you will be disappointed if you are making those expectations because they will not be met. Or something like that. Instead of just saying we're not going to have the news. He's like, please note that if your expectations are misguided, you will be disappointed. And I hope you're not disappointed. Like, that's kind of the tone it took. It's such a roundabout way of just saying nothing at E3 of the, on those topics. So it's just interesting how the language is different. But, um, yeah, I uh, totally lost my train of thought. Huh. That's funny. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I didn't think... I mean, I well, didn't say this, so I don't know. I'm thinking, I don't know if he th- means this. and I don't, He didn't say it at all. I just want to be 100% clear. We're going from what I said to my theories. 
uh some of the stuff he was saying about harry potter world and how like that's what impressed him and that's the thing that kept showing makes me think it's gonna be less of a random attraction here a random attraction there less of like a one-off monster or thing and more of an actual nintendo land whatever universal plan like harry potter world nintendo land they go hand in hand they rhyme i just did a whole rhyme but no like i mean what would your ideal you go to disneyland somewhat often what's your ideal nintendo theme park thing for it to be literally its own Disneyland, not a part of. You want parks. to, so you want to be like there's like five parks and it's like the Mushroom Kingdom, Hyrule, yeah. multiple planets from Metroid. Like I want it to be yeah, like its own entity, not like Spaceland in Disneyland or, that's or Harry of, Potter Land in Universal. Well, Harry Potter World's actually pretty big for itself. It has you can go into Hogwarts, you go. Uh, Dog, whatchamacallit alley Diagon Doggone uh, not Doggone Doggone alley Diagon alley yeah you can go there you can go I think you can even get butterbeers in Diagon alley like, or no you can go there's a third place but there's multiple set pieces so to speak they can visit and they're all pretty I don't know. massive I, I, I want something like the size if not bigger than Disneyland so I'm you want to be, I'm going like you're going big like, it has to be like you want to be like like literally like if there wasn't already a story in that like with Nintendo World yeah. I would want it to be like Nintendo World like, to get Nintendo World they just turned 10 on Thursday like as big as like Six Flags, not bigger. Huh. So you want it to be almost like where there's Disney World, and Disney World within it has Magic Kingdom, which within it has five sections. So you want it to be Magic Kingdom size, not Tomorrowland size. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Harry Potter World's, I wouldn't say it's full Magic Kingdom size, but it's bigger than Tomorrowland for sure. Yeah, but it's still small compared to everything else. Is it? Have you been? I don't know. No, I've looked at maps. Oh, oh. Yeah. So it has to be bigger than Harry Potter. Well, to Nintendo's credit, they I have mean, a I lot more IP to, to work with. I mean, I'd want there to be like, yeah, like pretty much like a whole like oh here's like the picnic section or like pretty much every Dude, I have a crazy idea like, like, like every like franchise has its own like sub world like oh yeah. here's like the Metroid blah blah blah. I have a crazy idea for picnic that they're never gonna do, but I want to do. You know, some parks like even Disney does this with the Wild Animal Park in Florida. It's almost like they have like a botanical garden of sorts in the park, which is kind of boring. But you know, it'd be like oh here's some real plants from the real world. Learn about them. It's a learning experience or whatever, like Sea World style, but with like want to do a botanical garden with mechanical Pikmin in it. Go explore the Pikmin world, and then you have to like find the Pikmin in the garden. Like it just be like a nice little walkthrough thing for parents or whatever. But the kids can enjoy it because there's like little Pikmin that you can find. Like they're hiding behind mushrooms. Or I would like, like for there to be like a bunch of actual flowers cool. or like yeah, and there's flowers or, or, or objects, like, but they're all like, all the descriptions for them. Since obviously you're not there like to learn. Yeah, like all the descriptions are written just like they are in the game. Like because it's written by Olimar, and they're always like. Like, like, oh, this is uh, the fire dragon snap flower. Yeah, no, that's like, so great. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Yeah, like they, a, they, a they, 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 they the crazy descriptions how, like, they describe the fruit and all these weird ways, like, zesty monsters. And right, right. Like, uh, orange, I forgot See, what I would love, even though that's not, like, a major attraction, that would be kind of neat, and it would play well to the IP, and it would make sense. Because, you mm. know, I'm, what I'm worried about is they're going to do, like, the Metroid 4G experience. Step inside Samus's helmet. And when, when uh, Ridley breathes on you, his spit flies in your space with our water cannons. Like, that's what I'm worried they're going to do. So I'm really hoping it's more like Pikmin than that's what, that. That's why I kind of feel like if they go with a huge scale park, they're gonna have um, that. For it, sure. it has no, it has more. they more potential with than with like little, with like small. Yes, and areas. I mean, yeah, to some extent. Yeah, I, I mean, the worst case scenario is it's a small world, but it's a world of Nintendo and without the singing, like some sort of multi-step. You sit in one ride and you go through all. You ride Rainbow Road through all these different parts of Nintendo, and it's all. Like I mean, they could totally have like like a Mario Kart track. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's pretty easy. You just re, oh, you yeah. just reskin like bumper cars to Mario Kart Battle Mode, and you're done. They could totally have like these like electrical panels that when you drive over them, there's like a I don't know some noise that makes it sound like you I mean the thing where it picks your item. Yeah. Well, I mean, people have made real life Mario Kart like using RF, 
RFID chips and stuff. It's possible. For toys, yeah. But no, not like... for toys. For real life. Like, some people hack together a go-kart thing where basically, like, you would have buttons on the steering wheel and you press it and then it's make, it would mess with the other cart using some sort of radio chip and, like, the brakes will lock. Or, like, it's a real thing. I'll try and find your dangerous. link after this. It was super dangerous. It was just a prototype thing for fun that some college kids did. But it worked. It was oh, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so, and then, like, you had three lights on the back that represented the balloons. It was it was legit. So I mean, they could do something like that. That'd be really cool. But yeah, I I think I too would want a more uni like not universe huh, a more universal park that covers everything. Pun. I mean, but I don't think I don't think yeah. I don't realistically think it's gonna be the size of like all of Disneyland. I I'd be cool with a Tomorrowland with like five Nintendo attractions to start, and it could scale it out. Depending yeah. on how it does. Well, I mean, I know, I, I know, like we, we you're, never you're get something. You're just a big dream. We're, we're not gonna get that on like the first attempt, like. That's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you're just dreaming big, basically. But in other news, unless there's anything else about Universal, because really, there's not much else to say. It's just kind of sit and wait. Yeah, because there's probably yeah, a year because there's nothing to exactly. Say. But in other partnership news, I mean, Universal is the second of two partnerships in just as many months that Nintendo's doing with their IP. The other is, of course, the one they announced earlier in the year with D E N A. How do DNA. I say it? Yeah, DNA with an E in the middle. And that's to make smartphone games. So um, we talked about it back in March when they announced it, and I watched shed a little more light on it during the investor meeting. And namely, he focused on the fact that it's about quality, not quantity. So what Nintendo plans to do is they're going to have five smartphone games out by the end of next fiscal year. Next, next fiscal year. So March 2017. They plan to have five games between then and now. The first of which will be out this calendar year, so before the end of December. And yes, part of the plan is to tie it in with Nintendo's new account system they're building as it kind of mentioned before, and that account system is going to, he said in a different part of q and it's going to combine the loyalty system with Club Nintendo with the system level systems with a login on the website. It's all going to be one universal thing. So the bigger thing, of course, is why only five games? Because they're like, okay, great, you're doing an account system, but why on only five games? And uh, the rationale behind it is that it's really one of caution, actually. I want just being cautious. Nintendo's being cautious. I want to ensure that each game is A, of typical Nintendo quality, and um, in order to do so, that takes time. So if you were just simply port over like a you know a Super Nintendo game and put touch controls on it, that wouldn't be good. They want to make it so it actually makes sense on the platform, on the iPhone, on Android, whatever. And um, the, the the second part of this is when they launch it, they don't know how it will work. A lot of games explode up the sales charts very quickly and then fall back down, or they stay up top, lower, come back when they release new content, fall back down again, or they go on sale and come back and then fall down. They don't know what the trajectory or what the long-term life of a game is like for a Nintendo property on a smart device. So, in a way, he admit he straight up admitted this during the QA, the four or five games that are launching between now and March are more tests of pacing and tests of the frequency of release and that sort of thing than anything else. Obviously, they're going to bring in money. Obviously, you know, obviously, they want to bring in money. They're taking what he's calling a I think he called it wide and shallow approach, meaning they want to maybe make a little money off a lot of people opposed to charging a lot to a few people, which is kind of how mobile gaming is in general. But they are, this is definitely experimental. The first game will probably be experimental, but it's going to be something made for the platform. It's going to be something made well and up to Nintendo's standards of quality. And to help spearhead all this, Nintendo's actually putting a number of its developers on mobile app duty, so to speak. Uh, the, the, one that, the guy that's leading the pack is the producer of Mario Kart who they didn't specify by name, but is most likely, uh, I'm probably butcher his name, apologies, Hideki Kono. Kono. That's the guy we met, right? Did we meet him? I don't know, we met someone at the Mario Kart 8 thing. He was like one of the lead Mario people. Kart 8 thing? Um, what Mario Kart 8 thing did we go to? It was at Best Buy. We were playing Mario Kart 8. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was it. Oh, no, no, uh, 
No, we met that was also like the guy that I took his Pikmin picture, the Pikmin patch picture, right? There was a, there was a bunch of people. We saw Kono. Yeah, all the developers came over at the Best Buy at E3 event. Something. Yeah. Yeah, Tezuka. That's who we met. That's who I got the photo. We met him and the producer. Uh, yeah, we met Tezuka, who's like the mastermind of the Mario series at this point. He's the producer of all the current Marios. And we met... Um, oh, what's his name? I forgot. The main guy behind Mario 3D World, who did all the cat Mario yeah. meowing in the air things. But yeah, Kono was there. We did not talk to him, though. But Kono, you probably... Lots of people probably don't know his name, because he's like one notch down. Oh, we saw, we saw him before yeah, when we were yes. around... We did, and we and he was at Best Buy. We seen him multiple yeah. times, but he's significant and a really good choice for mobile. I think for two reasons, or sorry, multiple reasons, three reasons. He's known as the, I would say he's the most well, best suited. Yeah, he's like the best suited at Nintendo for this sort of thing because he's like their connectivity guru. He's the guy that comes up with all these great interfaces for connectivity between players, be it online or off. He's the one in charge of Mario Kart DS online so he spearheaded like the whole Nintendo Wi-Fi connection he was in charge of the concept behind Mario Kart Wii and it's Wii channel where you download ghosts automatically and you know all the matchmaking through that channel you don't even have to boot the game he is the guy behind the system infrastructure for 3DS so in other words he was the head of the whole street pass idea it all went to him at the end basically if you're looking for a guy who's good at figuring out how so you can connect is he with... the one to blame for the messaging system on the Wii U Probably, but we only. But messaging isn't a concern for the mobile game, so calm down. But they're turning to DNA for that. DNA is doing all the back end stuff. I thought made a really funny comment in the QA because he's like, uh, "What's great about DNA is they agreed to be a silent partner in the background." Um. And I'm like, "Wow, okay, just straight up say it, why don't you?" But uh, yeah, so DNA is doing all the infrastructure and all the idea of like how the games will be services that are constantly updated, opposed to you know just like a one off thing. So you don't have to worry about the messaging. That's DNA's job. But Kono is super good at coming up with these ideas of how to connect players in interesting ways. So having him work on a game for mobile where connectivity is obviously a key focus because you have online play or you, and that sort of thing, I feel like he's a really good fit for that. He also has the experience with dabbling with new platforms because he designed the 3DS interface. So, Or he, he and his team. I'm giving him a lot of credit. But yeah, so that I think, those are the, those three examples are the reasons I think that he makes a very, he's a very good fit for this. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he comes up with because... He's he's definitely Nintendo's most forward thinking in terms of connectivity. And lastly, um, the final bit of news out of the Q and A, investor asked Nintendo about their next gen system, the NX. And Iwata went on record that Nintendo won't be revealing anything about it until twenty sixteen. The only reason he even mentioned it this year is because at the DNA press conference when they announced their partnership, he wanted to demonstrate, no no no, we still have a dedicated games platform and we're still making them, we're not giving up on that. You want proof? We have our current ones, you want more proof? Oh yeah, we got a new one coming. That was the whole logic behind why they announced it when they did. It is very early. What he did say, however, or tease, I guess I should say, is it's not going to be, quote, a simple replacement for Wii U or 3DS, but something new. He went on to say, I'm just going to read it. Uh, we would like to offer a dedicated video games platform with a brand new concept by taking into consideration varying factors, including the playing environment that differ, environments that differ by country. Now, he immediately said this after talking about how Japan is focused more on portable games and the West is focused more on home console games, which is actually a point I made way earlier when we were talking about something else. I think 3DS or Wii U. But yeah, they Japan traditionally is more about playing on the go because you're on trains and whatnot. The US, you're plopped in front of the TV getting fat, so you're playing on home console. But yeah, so he's saying, essentially, that whatever this new concept is that they're not revealing yet, it, it caters to the fact that there are different audiences in different places and does so in a way that will benefit both of them. So... That leaves two possibilities to me. A hybrid console 
or multiple form factors for a single console. And I think we've talked about this in the past, but I'm definitely bang on the latter one. I think we're going to see NX, it is a platform, but it's going to come in different form factors. I think we're, it's going to be like iOS. I think there's going to be an iPhone and an iPad. There's going to be a small portable one and one you use more at home. There's going to be one, actually an iPhone and an Apple TV might be a better comparison. But there's going to be, you know, like one that's hooked up at home, one you take on the go. I don't think we're going to see a true hybrid. I mean, everything I was said in the past, I think we talked about this after the last financial briefing, but just in a nutshell, everything they've said in the past implies that they want to make some sort of multi-form factor thing. You know, they have comments like, yeah, we're bringing together our software and hardware architectures and bringing together the teams, or not software and hardware, sorry, console and portable architectures, and we're bringing together the teams, and we're doing all this so, you know, um, they can unify their ideas, and he keeps citing iOS as an example about, like, different form factors, but same base code makes it so we can make more games faster, because you're making one game multiple times, like, there's all these things that kind of point in this direction, and it would be something new that's different from 3DS and Wii U, because it's not replacing 3DS, it's not replacing Wii U, it's this third thing that you get in whatever size you want and use however you want. Now, of course, there's probably some other concept to it, some new gameplay mechanic thing, you know, like the gamepad on Wii U, motion controls on Wii, whatever. But in terms of how you use it, I strongly, strongly, strongly think and suspect that it's going to be multiple form factors. And you pick your poison. So we, we shall see. But uh, he also left the, the door open for possibly dropping region locking, which would be awesome for the few times we don't get games. And we wouldn't need to have another... Uh, what was it called when Xenoblade got brought over project? Rainfall? Rainfall, Operation Rainfall. We wouldn't have to have that. Yeah, he said that. He basically said, and I know a lot of people are going to be happy to hear this, that Nintendo's aware that the fan demand, current hardware limitations prevent them from doing it now because it's hard-coded, but they're open to the idea, and guess what he's doing? He's taking it into positive consideration, my favorite phrase from this <laughs> investor meeting. So, so that's pretty much where it's at. The only other thing he said about the NX, which we're mentioning, is it will not be at E3, which we kind of touched on earlier. He also said, don't expect to see quality of life product at E3. Don't expect to see smartphone games at E3. E3 to Nintendo is about dedicated game platforms and what's coming to them in the short term. So that means, what are we going to see? Well, funny, Everything I should... Everything we've funny already I should, talked about. Yes, exactly. And funny, I should ask ourselves, or funny, I should ask myself, what will we see at E3? Because Nintendo then, just the other day, announced their plans for E3. So for those who missed the video, really quick run-through... Uh, super quick. They are doing basically what they did last year, but with some tweaks. So Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. of the week of E3, which I believe is the 16th of June, they will have a uh, direct event. And of course, we will have a special episode of the podcast that covers it probably by end of that day, if not the next day. Uh, the, the Wednesday, the day after that event, and then again on Saturday, if you go select Best Buys, you can try Mario Maker out for yourself, and you'll get a 30, 30th anniversary collector's pin. Again, like they did last year with Smash Bros. and the coins. Difference is, I wouldn't be surprised if some games that they show in their digital events suddenly are playable at Best Buy. I mean, they can't show it they haven't announced. Or they can't tell us what they haven't announced. But I would be shocked if it's only Mario Maker. Because that's not... It's not very really good for demoing at Best Buy like Smash Bros. and Mario Kart have been in past years. Yeah, you know? it's like... It's going to be like, oh, right, here's three minutes. I'm trying to make a level. It's like... People are bound on... I think they're going to be pre-made levels. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I, I doubt they're going to let that's anyone... that's not that exciting, like... You're just playing, You're Mar playing Mario. Mario at that point. You're just playing wacky, crazy Mario. But So that's happening. And then the big new thing is instead of doing a tournament the same day as the digital event like last year for Smash Bros., Nintendo is making it bigger, making it better, and moving it to Sunday before. So June 14th, here in L.A. at the Nokia Theater again, they are doing, for the first time in 25 years, the Nintendo World Championships. 
kind of cool they're bringing it back uh they haven't announced what games they haven't announced anything beyond the fact that it's happening but it is happening and they will have qualifiers at select best buys around the country on may 30th and yes you can actually enter it's not like the smash bros one where it was invitation only this one they are bringing special people by invitation but this one is a public tournament like in 1990 when they last did it and they will be announcing more in the coming weeks and we'll of course talk about it as they announce it and we're going to try and go it's open to the public for LA, so we'll try and go and get coverage as we did last year with the Invitational. So you can expect our full impression of what's like inside it after E3 in our post. I wonder how early stuff. we have to go. Last year we went at like 6.30 in the morning for Smash. Oh, yeah. And they gave us pizza. Or no, they didn't give us pizza. They gave us popsicles and then we bought pizza. Yeah. Good times. And Reggie walked by. We're like, there goes Reggie. Mm-hmm. But uh, but no, it's I mean, from experience last year, even standing there that long, it's a really cool. It's really cool because it's like you're in this room of a thousand plus, two thousand plus people. They're all passionate Nintendo fans. Nintendo's there in full force with all their people, and they're super amped that we're super amped and we're super amped that they're there. And it's just like this, like it's probably the most like Nintendo y event you could go to. It's like the pinnacle of a Nintendo event. At least Smash Bros. I mean, I've been to like the E three hundred six press conference, which was really cool, but it's more subdued because it's media and you're somewhat professional. But just going there and like some of the fans were a little bit much, but just going there and having that like energy was kind of cool. I thought, and who knows who they'll trot out? They brought out Sakurai last year, you know, the guy might smash. Who's not? Who's to say they won't bring out Miyamoto this year? I don't know. I mean, we've seen Miyamoto a couple times in person. I don't but, know who's to say that. Um, but someone is somewhere. Whoever decides not to bring him when he's not there <laughs> come Sunday, June fourteenth. Yeah. But yeah, so we'll of course cover that more. I will say Nintendo once again did a pretty awesome job with the announcement video for the for this, like they did last year. They worked with Mega sixty four to announce it. And they've accepted the fact... It's fine, because they used to be so Blue Ocean and so, like, oh, yeah, we need to appeal to new people, and we need to be, like, super, like, hey, we're Nintendo, we're welcoming. But now they're just totally catering to the core fans. They're, these things are packed with memes that fans are going to milk forever. You know, like, Reggie's expressions, they definitely do on purpose, firing Bill Trennan, jokingly, and then him accidentally tweeting an hour early and ruining the punchline, and making people think he was actually fired. Uh, <laughs> that was an interesting morning. But, uh, poor Bill Trennan. He trin... He, um, controlled everyone his handle on twitter is trintram anyway uh actually missed his earlier tweet you know what's funny he was trending worldwide after he did that after he screwed up an hour early bill trennan was trending on what did he tweet i missed it. he tweeted well i had a nice run and then changed his twitter profile to say formerly worked at nintendo wow. an hour or two early because he's not i think he's in japan prepping for e3 so he mixed up the <laughs> times up and then everyone flipped out and then he tweeted a few minutes later i'm really bad at time zones or something like that uh, is it not 9 a.m. yet? So then the punchline of the video was ruined, but he was trending on Twitter. He got more, he got like a ton more followers. I've been following him for years, but he got like his followers shot through the roof after that because he was <laughs> all over the internet. It's it pretty funny. And then he had to change his profile to like still works at Nintendo or don't work or something like that. And then hashtag controlled. But uh, yeah, so I thought the video better. was really good. What? It almost looked out better. Yeah, I kind of did. I mean, I really like those little goofy videos in Nintendo. I like that they're embracing the silly side of E3 because I mean, to be honest, E3, I understand why companies are very like, oh, yeah, we're so cool and calm and collected. But it's about video games. It's fun. You can be wacky. It's okay. Like, you know, seeing stuff like overly professional about video games, sometimes just like, I'm like, come on. You can, why not have some fun with it? The, the product you make is about fun. You can goof around and, you know, as long as you're connecting with your fans in a positive way, who cares how serious you are? So I'm kind of glad that Nintendo's embracing that. So sorry for people that have to do trade shows for other things where they can't really get away with that. Oh, yeah. Like, I have a friend that does, like, mapping stuff, and he went to MapCon, real thing, in San Diego, actually, and it was just, like, people presenting maps. 
like you can't be fun about maps. It's not like, hey, look at that terrain. It looks like a tarantula. Like it doesn't work like that. <laughs> like, but it's cool that like you and if you like video games, you can do that. Even like Comic Con, like the movie companies are there in force, but they're pretty laid back. So, but yeah, that pretty much that pretty much does it for news. Uh, real quick before we get to affordable space adventure impressions that you want to talk about, um, we did get a mailbag question, and we're always open to mailbag questions. So you're always welcome to email us contact at roundtown.com. Or go to the contact us page at ramtown.com. Or if you're on the episode page at ramtown.com for episode 97, we have a link at the bottom of the list of news stories that takes you right there. However you choose to do it. This week's question comes to us from Chris. And he had a question. It's kind of an interesting. It's like an ethical game dilemma. So he asked. I'll just read it. So uh, when I updated my 3DS XL to the not-so-stupidly named new 3DS XL. Glad we're on the same page on that. Uh, I chose to not trade in my old system. For a credit toward the new system. Instead, I decided to utilize my old system as a sort of street pass box, if you will, where I have the me in a green shirt with a birthday, February 29th. People have told me that utilizing the 3DS in this way is cheating. What do you guys think about that? It's interesting because I see where they're coming from, but I don't agree. <laughs> it's funny, like, like, I guess you could think of it as cheating, but you're not really cheating anyone. You're cheating yourself. And if you don't mind that, then who cares? If you're trying to just be a completionist, so be it. It's, you're not hurting anyone. You're not taking your me online and being like, you know... No, uh, yeah, it's, it's not... I mean, if there was like a... Like, oh, Nintendo said, oh, first one to 100% complete, like, the entire US map, the entire everything, yeah. get like this, like, really awesome trophy, then... Then, like, yeah. There'd be more of an ethical dilemma there, but as it stands, I mean, I feel like every other person I know that has a 3DS does that. I mean, I know someone that changes where they're from every single time. Yeah. Just to help themselves out, like, for covering, taking over the right. U.S. Because, I mean, right. we're not going to travel to Idaho or Colorado or Michigan. You were like, in Montana, and then you realize I lived there, so I will travel to I wasn't, actually, because uh, I have forgotten that this existed. Oh, thanks. My <laughs> childhood home is non-existent. But, uh, you know, I agree. Because I think, like, the idea of, like, cheating, it's like some people might be like, oh, well, you're cheating yourself. Like, I joked a second ago. But, honestly, if you're happy with how you're approaching the Don't game it's up to you to yeah it's up to you to do it like unless you're hindering someone else's experience or giving yourself an unfair advantage against a person you're not really who who are you hurting you like, have to realize really... that like especially when it comes to filling out the u.s map yeah you really don't know if these people are from the places they say there are so yeah like, i got someone all... from from like saigon there's no way they're from saigon i was in like Salt Lake City. <laughs> so, like, no for all you know, like, they're probably all, like, fake accounts anyway that just take their 3DS out everywhere. So, at this point, it doesn't even matter. It's... It, yeah. I think it's a non-issue. Yeah, yeah, and I think... I mean, I get that, like, you know, February 29th, you do get a special achievement for doing that in the achievement list. But, again, the only person you're that's aware of that, whether, you know, regardless of if you're cheating or not, the only person that knows you got that achievement is you. So, if you're comfortable getting that under those conditions, so be it. I mean, it's like everyone that home passes, you know, the street pass on your own Wi-Fi router. Obviously, you're gaming the system, but are you really hindering anything for anyone no it's just you're choosing to do anything, this to progress if it, yourself if anything by doing this you're kind of helping others because the more stuff you have the more things you can give yeah to you're giving people. them more puzzles so if anything we should be thanking you yeah chris we thank you no but seriously it's like this i would say you could argue it's not playing by the rules but is it cheating in a way that should like people should say is bad that people say is bad and you shouldn't do no i i don't think so it's not like the whole hacking it, pokemon to yeah i was about to say it's like it's if like you're similar, if you're using but, a game shark to hack a pokemon team together back in the day just to progress through single player, go for it. Who cares? You're playing how you want to play and making your experience how you want to make it. If you then were to, say, take that team against someone and they're clearly hacked and mm -hmm. overpowered, then perhaps there's an issue. Then it gets debatable. But, yeah, but it's not like you're taking <laughs> your green shirt. Debatable. 
Yeah. No, it's, it's bad. I say it's bad. It's but it's not like you're taking your green shirt, you know, green shirt me with February 29th birthday and, like, shoving it down people's throats and be like, my me has a special birthday. Like, it, it doesn't it doesn't hurt anyone. So to answer your question, Chris, I think you're in the clear. But thank you. It was a good question. And it, it's cheating is always a weird topic, a weird, interesting topic. I mean, even just now, you're like, well, Pokemon hacking isn't quite debatable, which reminds me, there is an extra on the no, site. No, I, mean, I mean, no, it's straight up wrong. It's just debatable uh, how you do it. Right. But you do have that extra on the site from a while ago, that editorial about Pokemon hacking. I do. So if anyone wants to hear Jose's deeper inner thoughts on Pokemon hacking and when it's okay and when it's not, um, there is an article on Ramtendo. I forgot what it's called. Me too. It's from a long time ago. But just go to the... No, I don't think... Maybe. Just go to the uh, extra section on the site and scroll down and you'll see it. It's there. But yeah, thanks for your question, Chris. And as always, anyone has questions, hit us up. Contact Ramtendo.com and we'll include them when we have time in an episode. Or even in episodes like this when we're short on time and we're still including them. But with that said, we should talk about the last thing of the episode, the other half of the more money, more problems, which is Affordable Space Adventure, which really only ties into the pun and name, if you think of it. Well, I mean, it is expensive, but it's not more problems. So you bought it. You play it most. I played, like, what, 20 levels with you or something? Ten. But Ten? I thought we did more. We did different times. Well, well, anyway. Uh, like um, ten or eleven. Yeah, so if you want share your thoughts on this. So... A long time ago, many of you may remember that I was talking about this fun game called Artemis, where basically you, everyone takes control of one spaceship, but everyone has their own laptop or computer, and everyone's doing different jobs. One guy is the pilot. All he does uh-huh. is literally just drive the ship. One guy's the commander. He literally just barks orders. Someone else controls weapons. And then Jason's like, oh, you know, they're actually making a game for the Wii U that's basically that, but scaled down to yeah, a super tiny baby amount. From the makers of Spin the Bottle. Because that's the weirdest trajectory you can take in your development cycle <laughs> so basically life. um it is basically that you get one person on a wemo or i guess on a controller and all they do is control a flashlight that they can use to scan and shoot flares at then you get someone else on another controller that literally just steers the ship and then you get a third person on the gamepad that controls the thrusters the air brakes the which type of engine you use like a bunch of other little things and do that that you need in order to traverse this world of course, just to chime in super quick, of course you have fewer people, one or two, it will adapt who does what to the yeah. smaller scale. So, so you don't need three, just, it sound, so, you may so, sound you might. No, no, yeah, so if yeah. you if you have three people, you definitely, I feel like you get the best experience, because you get, it's all about the communication, and it's just fun, funny when like, things like, don't go the way, don't go like the way you think they will, like there was a lot of, um, like, oh, I was playing, well, I played it with Jason just. At like two in the morning. After actually, right after our last episode recorded, we were done like late at night. We're like, let's just play it. <laughs> yeah, like, to, like, like, it was, like it was still fun. Um, I they gave um the person with the gamepad the ability to do to use the flashlight, but they gave Jason the job of shooting the flare when yeah. when the city people had separated and steering. And then the second time I played it with my, with Elvis and another friend. And that time, like, both of them didn't think they would enjoy the game, which, like, they actually went in with low expectations, although it's kind of with maybe some negative expectations. Uh-huh. But they both ended up, like, really loving it, and just, like, the co-op part of it. Something to note about, like, the game structure, though, if you just look at trailers, it kind of makes it look like you're exploring this giant open world that you just kind of traverse, kind of, like, Half-Life yeah. style. At least that's, like, what I got from it when I was watching a trailer. But it really is just um, a bunch of single contained levels like you come they're in like through puzzle rooms you come in yeah yeah they're just puzzle rooms you come in through an entrance you go to the exit that's all you do but how you get through them depends on the puzzle like you might encounter a robot that 
um, will shoot you if your heat signature is too high so you need to change to your electrical engine and mm -hmm. shut down and go really slow or sometimes you have this laser grid that if you touch the laser they'll kill you but the path is very narrow so you have to increase your stability to maximum but that overheats you so you have to get through it really fast no no it, it's really it gets really creative and really hard sometimes but it's really really fun the price though feels a little high because i feel like if we had played it for maybe another half hour we would have definitely burned through the whole game and we only played it for like an hour right so and that was pretty much the whole game because i mean the three people i was playing with like we're really we're those kind of people that play a ton of video games so we were able to burn like burn through it really easy really easily even the mm -hmm. the level that i guess we could have considered really hard maybe got us stuck for maybe like five minutes at most yeah but I will say one thing you didn't, mention, an experience. One, one thing you didn't mention that's worth noting. One, 2D side scroller. <laughs> like a lot of indie games. Nothing wrong with that. It's for people that might be thinking it's something different. It's a side it's side scroller. It's like you said, it's a, you go puzzle to puzzle. It's, ba it's a puzzle game in disguise. It's like a platformer, pu puzzle platformer, except you're flying instead of walking in many ways. Yeah. But it um, even it has a really, really cool style to it. Even in just the hour I played, I really yeah, like the style. It's, it's, there's um, a lot of immersion going on. The yeah, it's, pad, like when you crash, it flickers. Kind of like Samus' visor. Yeah, of. the gamepad is straight up like its own little computer with its own operating system. Yeah, it and like it has up. dialogue boxes pop up when things go wrong in the game. Yeah. Uh, all like, the, or go you, ahead. And I like how when you turn on the game, like the gamepad like, boots up in a different way. Like it says, like, um, has a load bar and everything. Like, like something OS loading up. Yeah. And even, like, you start the game and it's, like, an infomercial for why you should go on an affordable space adventure. It's, like, this company that just sends you out to go explore plants. You pay a cheap amount of money. You get a rocket ship for a few hours. You go explore. You come back. They pick you up with, like, a crane machine. But, more to point, the whole game carries that idea. Like, carries that fake idea. So, load screens. Or, like, picture your passport or instruction manual for the ship. Or, like, your dashboard. And there's, like, spilled coffee. Or, and like... The, and the dashboard, like, literally has, like, a gamepad. Oh, we more, like, hang yeah, on, like, yeah, oh, yeah. More, like, the As if there's some sort, of da some sort of ship control. Like, yeah. They, yeah or, like... You know, there's in, when it's teaching new things, it does in little videos with little was like Shippy, the little like he's like a clip it guy from a uh, word, but he like your little ship helper, and it's like and everything is skinned as if you are actually in this world, and it's, it's it never feels like a game in the traditional sense. It's really immersive, like you were saying, and of course when you're actually playing, it's not very graphically intense, but it's really cool lighting effects, really cool like smoke and dynamic stuff like that. But but yeah, I was just super blown away by the it's personality of the yeah. game. It's it felt like a, it's like a Disney experience, kind of. It's like you go to Disneyland and you get like, you know, they, they don't just put you in the ride. They're like, everything's Indiana Jones now. Like, look, there's a whip behind you. And like, when they talk to you, the guy on the TV is like, Indiana Jones. You know, it's kind of like that where it's like you're in for his ride and they skin the entire thing. It's, there's, there's nowhere in it where it's like, by the way, I'm a video game. It's like its own little experience bubble. I'd love to see this taken to like the next level on the Wii U. Like maybe um, pretty much increase the number of people that you would need in order to move the spaceship like I, I guess it would have to be like almost on the scale of that of the game I mentioned Artemis right but it would definitely have to be like an online only game like every single person has their own gamepad has their yeah. own controls but you would all connect together and that would be cool I, I feel like that could definitely work easily on the Wii U but yeah and, and one other thing worth knowing is because I mean you, you said this but I'm just gonna put it out there you, you alluded to this because of how it uses the gamepad at least to me this is one of if not the best example no one of the best examples of the whole asymmetric gameplay thing that nintendo used to try and do with wii u this should have been a launch game this should have been a system like a, a like a prime example of why you need a wii u it does it so cleverly the, the fact that you're controlling a ship on the gamepad and you have the full interface that looks like the ship 
like you look like you're running your ship OS or whatever, and it has like little pop-ups for you that, you know, like from like the the operating system itself and every even like when something goes wrong, it's an old school Windows 95 dialog box that comes up. Like it's so, the attention to detail is so good, and then the fact that you're doing stuff with other people doing stuff on different controllers, but you have to work together and communicate like you were saying. That this is exactly what Nintendo wanted the Wii U to do. They gave up on that idea like six months in. No third party besides Ubisoft with Zombie U really came close to that idea. This feels like it's that idea finally realized, at least to me. Like, it's arguably much better use of the gamepad than almost every single Nintendo game made by Nintendo themselves. So if nothing else, if you own a Wii U, I feel like for my limited time with it, honestly, I would buy it just to experience this, like, finally realized potential of the gamepad. It's that different, that unique, that's perfectly aligned with the system's concept, to me at least. But, but yeah, it is a little expensive. But yeah, was there, I, I don't know. Is there anything else? No, it's I didn't mean like hijack your thing. It's just I wanted. To I mean, share that thought. I mean, no one isn't too much more to say. Right, simple concepts, but. but yeah, it is really fun, and uh, the developers are you know they've supported the Wii U before with other games, so this is a slightly bigger attempt by them. But but yeah, yeah. it's it's cool. So I guess that does it for this episode. Um, I guess it does. I guess it does. It's a pretty. It's about our usual. A little long. No, we got about our usual length. So um, as always. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, our next episode is going to be coming up on May 31st, which is the Sunday of Splatoon launch weekend. So if you need a break from shooting ink, or if you need a break from getting rolled over by it's rollers... Lotion, uh, it's Nintendo Police. Yes, yes. If you, if you get splatted one too many times, you're welcome to come listen to us on Sunday, May 31st, as we'll be sharing impressions of the just-released Out of the Blue, Stretch Mo, along with, of course, the latest news, and maybe some early Splatoon impressions. might make more sense to wait until the next episode. But we'll, we'll have a lot to talk about games and news-wise, so that's May 31st. Best way to make sure you don't miss it, as always, subscribe to us on iTunes, where you can also review us if you like the episode. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at RamNintendo. We are probably doing some sort of little giveaway to Twitter followers in the next two weeks. I don't want to say much more than that, but keep an eye on the site, or keep an eye on our Twitter, follow our Twitter, and you're automatically entered. So... Go do that, at Ram Nintendo. If you prefer to just listen to what Jose, or read what Jose and I have to say without a chance of winning anything, you can follow us individually. I'm at JSR7. Jose, aka Angel, I just realized I was calling you Jose this whole time, is at Wero, W-E-I-R-O, underscore O. To my, in my defense, you were Jose for the eight years I've known you until about three weeks ago. So not my fault. Um, you can also find Angel on Meverse at Wero as well. I'm Jason R on there. And yeah, that pretty much does it. So like I said, we'll be back May 31st. Did you spell it? I did when I said your Twitter handle. Oh. Uh, would you like me to spell it again? Might as well. Okay, so Wero on Meverse and Twitter, which is Jose slash Angels, uh, handle is W-E-I-R-O underscore. Don't forget the underscore. It's very crucial. And then a second O, because one wasn't enough. So it's Wero O. Everyone got that? Good. All right, so we'll be back each week's time on May 31st. Um, thanks for listening as always. Hope we didn't bombard you with too much financial news. Uh, and I don't have anything else to say, so please just save me away.